so when you get battalion chiefs that have never spent any time focused on truck operations, and I don't care if you're on a Quint or not, you're not going to have the view. You're you're, you're really going to have a hard time. And so all of a sudden, you're now commanding a fire, and you realize the responsibility is on me, and that I own everything. And when somebody gets hurt or when something happens, it's like, I own it, right? Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Corley Moore, Firehouse Vigilance. It is Weekly Scrap, number 185. It's been a long time in the making. The Mega Scrap Delta. Tonight, we have very special guests, the Roof Pervs. First up, it's William Knight. He works for DeKalb County, Georgia, where he has challenged the stress management skills of his officers for almost 17 years. He likes long ladders, long chainsaw bars, and short jorts. Next up, Rob Fisher, 35-year student of the fire service. He works for a suburban fire department in Snohomish County, Washington, currently the chief of the Snohomish County Fire Training Academy. Rob spent 20 years as a company officer, avoiding people like William before promoting to battalion chief 15 of those 20 were spent on the department's ladder truck. He is a foodie who likes to travel, drink wine and whiskey, and spend time with his wife of 30 years and his two granddaughters. And then finally, we have representing the Great White North, James Johnson, who unfortunately, our guest could probably fill us in more on what happened, but unfortunately could not join us tonight to be the third member of the Roof Pervs. So instead, we made a massive montage of Canadian-esque uh, James Johnson esque pictures to represent um, who should have. There it is, Captain Canada. I love it. One hundred percent. Okay. All that being said, I hope everybody enjoys the the Maple Leaf, Captain Canada, everything else. But to fill in for James Johnson, we do have none other than the man behind the scenes. Every scrap throughout the years, uh, Kyle Romagus being our fourth panel member for this mega scrap. Uh, of course, everybody knows Smoothbore Cartel, Engine Company Resurrection, uh, Cruel Intentions. Uh, the man needs no, and I love the hat, Kyle. Hey, hey, I'm here, eh? Hey. <laughs> I hope James appreciates this. Oh, yeah, representing the, the Great White North, eh? Uh, everybody, anything you would like to add from the introductions, please go ahead. Anything I missed or anything to uh, to contribute? I'll start. Uh, it's DeCab. Not not DeKalb or DeKalb or any other pronunciation. It's DeKalb. Like, why call a cab when you can call DeKalb? DeKalb. Yeah. Then why do they spell it that way? Uh, it's uh, named after an old general um, back in the Revolutionary War. And uh, that's how his name was. He was French. And uh, since we were the first DeKalb, we get to pick how it's pronounced. So all the other DeKalbs came after us. All the other DeKalb counties... They're all after us. So I honestly thought that I would get Snohomish worse than I did DeCobb. DeCab. Sorry. There you go. <laughs> Dude, you're you're doing the Snohomish thing really well. I mean, we've Snohomish. done a couple things. We've done Snohomish a couple times over a couple interviews, and, and you you're nailing it, dude. I can stumble over the best of words. Anything else to add before I continue on? I don't want to cut anybody off. Audience, please get your questions primed and ready for the entire panel. William Knight, Rob Fisher, James Johnson slash 
Kyle Romagus. And uh, we'll go from there. Um, if you want to be a member of the Cool Kids Club, go to firehousevigilance.com. Sign up to be a vigilante. Exclusive swag, exclusive discounts. Here we go. I'm going to do all of the uh, sponsors, and then we're ready to get Mega Scrap Delta underway. First off, Citizens First Fire Training. It is a fire veteran-owned company committed to giving back to the fire service, authorized sales, service, and training partners of Amcus Rescue Systems, Citizens First provides training tools, equipment throughout the country, and the proceeds supports injured and fallen firefighters, their families, fools, chapters nationally. Aggressive firemanship saves lives. Citizens First Fire Training. If you know Chris Kessinger, you know it's the real deal. Um, absolutely love the guy. Next up, the OG sponsor of the scrap, the original Key Hose, man. I love them. Check them out on Facebook. The Hose Experts. Uh, Key Hose, 100%. And then, Affordable Drill Towers, home of the Affordable Drill Tower and the Affordable Standpipe Prop. Firefighter, owned and operated, pump and roll using the Affordable Standpipe Prop. The Affordable Standpipe Prop fits through most classroom doorways for standpipe theory, and then you can roll it into the parking lot and pump it. It comes with six standpipe valves that you can upgrade or convert them to PRVs or customize them to what you have in your jurisdiction. Uh, call Steve, 844-55-TOWER. Or drop an email to info at affordabledrilltowers.com. And this is how popular the Mega Scrap is because everybody wanted an ad read on the Mega Scrap and it's like awesome. But if you are looking to streamline your fire and EMS training programs, look no further than the Fire Academy. Introducing the Fire Academy, schedule, deliver, and track everything in your organization. Get the highest rated online training from industry leaders backed by Fire Engineering, FDIC International, and GEMS. Sign up for your free trial at thefireacademy.com. And with that, all of the housekeeping is out of the way. All of the, yes, there is so many uh, already. Yes, the pervs are alive and well from Kyle Thawne. We got this coming from David Woodward. Absolutely. It's Kyle, it's Kyle Tone. We've done Kyle Thawne. Ha ha ha. We've been Not here before. Thawne. Tone. We've nice been down this road before. Sorry about that, Kyle. I'll get him changed one of these days. Yes. Hey, between the cabs, Nahomish, and Thawne, uh, I'm I'm going to work on it's my pronunciation. Tihon, uh, <laughs> legends. Can't wait to see this coming from Anthony. I mean, I'm I'm afraid Anthony to mis to mispronounce your last name at this point. I'm just I'm I'm walking on eggshells here. Anthony Gianfrido. Uh, Jeff Stone said, "Much better lid, Kyle." <laughs> all right everybody there is so many comments already coming in get your questions ready for the roofers if you have questions for building constructions man get them in and with all of that being said everything's out of the way yes i want to lead off with a vigilante question of the week uh i ask my vigilantes each and every week hey here's the guests that are coming up is there something you want to ask and todd hayes had this to know and this is just kind of a warm-up question i'm throwing it out as a soft toss to everybody we all know what the five basic classes of construction are and pretty much what they consist of. But recently, we've seen some types that don't fit well into those categories. Where would SIPs, styrofoam block with concrete, et cetera, where does that fit in? How do you guys see it? And uh, what do you guys see for the future? And I'll throw it to William just to kick off, just because he's uh, next to me on the screen. So um, anytime that I, I present anything or teach anything, uh, we usually hit the five cla categories, classes, however you want to think about it, of building instruction. But we hit them right on the top, and then that's it. We leave them behind after that because it's pretty clear 
real quick that not everything that's out there these days fits cleanly into the categories. And so I'm not um, as technically um, in tune with the categories and all the subcategories because each one has a lot of subcategories that has a lot of technical um, relationships between materials and how they're assembled and things like that, that actually make them fall in different, like if it's a, a type five, a or whatever however they break it down um there's all right. kinds of different ways so as far as sips and specific materials um i tend to think of them less as a single category and i think of them as their own thing if i know how a particular construction material or method uh is put together then i can reasonably predict how it's going to come apart and that's essentially what we talk about with building instruction so yeah, I don't I don't dig too deep into the classifications because they kind of fall apart. Nice. Rob. Well, I think this is the the big reason why we're here. And um, you know, William and James and I talked before we were going to come on. And I wish James was here to uh to talk about this because he's really the expert when it comes to a lot of this stuff. And and William and I are William and I are, I don't want to say we're long for the ride because I know William's really smart with this stuff. But my my issue with, and the reason why I wanted to be here is I'm tired of talking about old construction. I'm tired of talking about the five types of construction, the classifications, whatever you want to call it. That's been around for a long time. And and the, um, the American construction features out today, they fit in some classification, but they're being like stretched. And so the idea of like what's non-combustible is not really the same thing that was 30, 40 years ago. Right. And so this is the modern built environment. And that's what I think we need to start spending some time discussing. I know I'm not answering it because I don't really have the answer. I, I couldn't tell you. Um, but I will say that the modern built environment is more about systems. So if you were to look at like type three and you're going, well, it's an, un- it's, it's, it's a non-combustible wall building. And it has a combustible roof. Well, we can have that now in today's, you know, more modern environment. But um, how we divide it up and how we call things, I, I just, I just not, I'm not. I think that the we need to look at reclassifying. Um, we've got concrete houses that are being built. We've got, you know, we 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 talk about uh, uh, type five being with uh, metal studs, you know, with the. Uh, and and it's still still classified as a type five, but really does it fit in the classification? Right. So I think the classifications are they don't really sit in the in the newer construction. And one of the things we're going to talk about, and again, I wish James was here to discuss help be a part of this conversation, is we're going to talk about mass timber. Well, what does that fit into? You know, right. that's, type, and, that's type four all day long. Yeah, it's so so type four of the old way, but but it's a system. That's what makes it different than the old type four. And yeah. so that's why we really got to start. I think we got to break away from this old terminology and this old way of thinking and, and it needs to change. And I don't know that we're going to be the ones that change it, but I think that would be my answer is that it, it needs to change and be updated. Hey, real quick. Uh, Cause I didn't, I really didn't address it. Uh, Rob or William, whoever knows more, the people are asking, where is James? Oh, go ahead, William. Uh, so James was going to be with us tonight, um, but he got rear-ended on his way home from work this morning. Uh, pretty pretty bad. It probably totaled his car. Um, so he's he's pretty roughed up and uh, dealing with that and all of the other repercussions of 
having to find a way home. His he lives three and a half hours from Vancouver, so uh, both the the part of you know getting hit and from behind that hard, uh, it pushed the back of his little. Um, what does he drive a, a Volkswagen? VW? He drives yeah, a Volkswagen. Volkswagen. Yeah, it pushed the back of that thing in pretty good. So he's hurting and uh, taking care of all that stuff. So he couldn't be with us tonight, but we'll get him on with something again. Short notice substitution. Kyle uh, courageously said, I'll step in. I'm not a build, building construction person. I'm a co-host. And so that's what his goal and role is right now. Kyle, what do you, sure what do you think about confusion? What do you think about the question, Kyle? I'm curious. Uh, I think you're on the ball on that because what is classified as the type one through five that is classically talked about is not seen in the environment that we work in majority of the time, unless you're in an old city or, you know, old main street or something like that, you know, and I would like to expand a little bit. I want you guys to expand because I can't add like what you guys can on the systems. So like you see the lightweight construction pictures that everybody freaks out about and it's missing all the components. Exactly. What's, What's lightweight construction? Well, I would say the one I'm describing right now is the one that rolls around every now and then of all of the, OSB material used for all of the studying and all the stairwells. And like me and Knight have had conversations about them. And it's like, to me, it's the equivalent after talking to him, it's the equivalent of showing the, the skeleton of a car without doors and glass and, you know, fenders and all of the extra components and saying how unsafe it would be to drive it at that point. And it's like, you're describing the system without the rest of the system, you know, and obviously you guys could carry the torch on that, but. I think that would be uh, one of the ways that we could go. I don't. I have no idea what the goal is tonight, but one of the ways we go is dispel some of that garbage that you see rotating on social media sites like that. Who wants it? Okay, William, what, William why don't you you want to hit on that? Uh... <laughs> what 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 exactly is there a question? What am I where where am I going off? Do of we that? want to melt it down like... to a question? Yeah, like the systems that you that me and you have talked privately about the OSB type um, structural components and stairwells that people see and and still fear in people by spreading that picture without all the rest of the protective systems that are involved in that in the actual testing of those materials. I mean, if we want to go down individual um, components, either construction materials or methods or all of that, we absolutely could could do that for a long time. But um, generally speaking. Um, I don't, I don't get too terribly worked up about any one thing in particular. Um, and you sent me the pictures of the, the stairs a while back, where uh, these are stairs built without stringers, without true dimensional lumber stringers, and and they've been around for a long time. Maybe some people are just now noticing them, or they're just now kind of trying to figure out what what to do with them. But um, for me, I, I'm going to treat them like any other stairs because you can show me a picture of something like that, and then my next question is, okay, cool, but but what do we do with that? If you show me a picture of a house that has a secret room that's hidden behind a bookcase and then tell me, look out for this. Well, what do I do with that? Do I do I check every bookcase when I'm doing primary looking for secret rooms? Do I, you know, check every closet for that that little trap door that goes into the little kids playroom back there? I can't. That's not a realistic way to handle our fires. So uh with the stairs and, and other things like that. Um, I just want to know how it's going to behave. And then I can figure out what to do with it in each fire based on the conditions that I have. Um, I like general 
principles that can be applied as universally as possible. So when it comes to stairs, if you treat them all like you don't want to fall through them, then I think you're going to be okay. Because if they're burnout, they're burnout. It doesn't matter if they were made of OSB or, uh, you know, the treads and the risers are dimensional lumber or they have stringers or no stringers. It's it's all the same. It, whatever the lightest weight or lightest mass component is, is probably going to fail first if it's directly exposed. And so we just address it on that. Um, if the stairs are burnt, what are you going to do? doesn't matter if they're OSB or dimensional lumber. Throw a ladder uh, over the stairs, throw a ladder to an upper floor, whatever you got to do. Um, I think it's the same. You just got to understand that uh, maybe you don't have as much time before that happens. So you need to be a little more vigilant because the mass is not there. Um, so make sure you're actually checking stairs before going up or down them to make sure they don't feel a little squishy or check the space under the stairs. You know, if you've got a closet that's up under the stairs or you need to poke a little hole and make sure that before you go up these stairs, you just poke a little hole with your hook or whatever, and it doesn't erupt with smoke and fire, then you can be a little more confident in the stairs ability to hold you. I like it. And I want to uh, go ahead, Rob. I, I see you. I was, yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, one of the, one of the problems that I'm, I'm having with the, where the fire service is at is our mission does not change with the type of construction. If if we were going to, I mean, just look at, I, I'm from Seattle and everybody wants to talk about Seattle and all of the encampment fires that are in these tents and, and buildings that are being made out of, out of pallets and everything. And, and I, I'm not saying that Seattle fire is going and searching in tents and in these things, but the mission still is the same. It's to save lives. And so if there's anything that we need to take away from Maybe this conversation or where we're going with building construction is firefighters. They're terrible at building construction. I mean, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not good at building construction and I'm a, and I, I'm one of the guys that likes to study it. And, um, and I know I'm not that good at it, but firefighters in general are terrible at building construction. They can't identify it very easily. They're, they get, you know, on social media. We, we, we fear monger a lot of things and we create this fear of, of issues. And I'll tell you, it doesn't matter if it's lightweight, which I I like to use the term engineered as opposed to lightweight, but you want to call it lightweight, you want to call it engineered. I don't care what it is. My mission in the fire service is still the same. And maybe it changes things because I'm not going to say that that something that has more mass isn't going to last longer. None right. of us have ever said that. But I will say that you still have a responsibility as a firefighter. If you live in the modern you know, city, you still have a responsibility to save lives and property. And, and that is going to be, it's changing, right? We've got, we have modern fuels. We have all these things. It's all changing. We just have to take that into consideration when we're going into this. Again, nothing is changing. And, and to, to William's point is if you give them a set of shitty stairs, I can tell you, like, I remember my grandparents' house that was built in 1920s in Seattle. It was the shittiest pair of stairs and it was built in the 1920s. And I guarantee you, if there was a fire in the basement, they would have failed right away even with conventional lumber, the way that it was. Well, it doesn't matter. Make make OSB stairs. It's the same thing as, is the problem, is that once I go to the stairs and I'm ready to address them, I've got to be able to be aware of what's going on and still act. I can't just go, oh, you know, it's this is a, uh, a, it's a conventional house that was built in the 1920s, so we can be in it, we can work in it for the next 45 minutes. No, that's not the case at all, so. No, and then, and the, and the, <laughs> As we peel back the layers here, I'm starting to realize, hey, uh, 
Was that an A as in Canadian A or was that an A as in? (laughs) Yes. Is that E double H? A colon. Um, The five no longer apply. I mean, I don't want to say no longer apply, but we've outgrown them as the American Fire Service. We've we've outgrown the five types of building construction. They still Um, work as a framework. It's just that you have to understand that they not everything fits nicely and pretty into them. They're not a. It's it's not like your silverware drawer where everything has its own little spot. There's five little slots for you know big forks, small forks, big spoons, small spoons, and butter knives. Right. It's it's more like the junk drawer or the drawer that has all of the uh, the utensils or whatever, where everything's just kind of jammed in there, and you have to look around for what works. Or the silverware drawer at Station One at the Moore Fire Department, where it's just all jammed in there. Well, yeah. look 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 at it this way. A type type five construction. That is a house that was built in the 1920s and a house that was built in in, in 2023. Right. They both fit into that. But are they two different types of construction? Or I should say, do they react differently under fire conditions? Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, you, that yeah. is that, that's the issue. So yeah, have I, we outgrown it? Is I'm really asking the question to you guys. Have we out? Does it so need an overhaul it, or? Your it opinions. just it just needs it doesn't need an overhaul. Um, it still applies for everything outside of the fire service as well. So the building construction industry and code enforcement, all that stuff, still use it. And there is a breakdown. Like like I said, there there is a breakdown within the code system to where you could probably categorize and classify everything that's out there. The including the the mixed materials that don't cleanly fit in something they probably really do when it gets broken down to to the small details, they do fit somewhere. Um, but for us, we're not going to memorize, you know, hundreds of pages right. of breakdown. So the five still work as a, as a framework. And then people got to know, okay, if I mix, you know, two and three or two and five, what am I dealing with there? You know, if I've got podium construction where it's uh it's all reinforced concrete on the first floor, that, that floor is 20 feet tall. And now I've got, five floors of wood frame on top of it, what is that going to do to my fire ground with my fire department, with my resources and response model? How is that changing how I have to address it? My ladder throws, my aerial access, my stretches, all of that kind of stuff. What does it do to it? And you can just look around. You don't have to have a pretty, you know, nice, concise categorization for that. Uh, You can have broad general terms, um, you just look at it and go, this is what it's made of. And this is how I deal with those things. Is it really, does does it really come down to knowing your district more than knowing the construction types? Absolutely. That is a much more useful thing. So like if you take a, an NFA building construction class and they start hammering the, the five types, well, that doesn't help you nearly as much as going out and walking your territory. Even if you don't know what type to call it, you know what it looks like and what it's made of. And so when you get on the fire ground, you might not know what type it is. It doesn't really matter because um, nobody else does either. So even if you did and you said it over the radio, it, it'd be confused for something else. So it'd be better if you just knew what it was uh, for you guys in your area with your buildings. That's much more Here- useful. Here's here's a good here's one good example apparatus positioning and being on the ladder truck. One of the things that frustrated me when I started off as a younger officer, it was the clap zone, and we set up for clap zones on everything, absolutely everything. But when it comes down to it, the things that I need to be worrying about clap zone is unreinforced masonry, right? So that is that is the main street, you know, old, and then the other one is is tilt. Tilt uh, construction. So, so slab, yeah. 
Yeah. And, and, and those two are the two that you need to be worried about outside of that. Don't worry about everything else. And so it has an impact on building construction, but here we never even talked about the, the type of construction when we discuss those two things, but those two things are the most important when it comes to like apparatus positioning, staying out of the clap zones is like, you better understand those two things so that, or, you know, you could, you could play to it more, but you better understand that so that you can have a, a positive impact on your fire ground operations. And we didn't even discuss type of construction. Yeah. That brings us to kind of a general point that, um, that I like to talk about every now and then, which is that um, when we start talking about stuff, um, we don't talk about the, the whys behind a lot of stuff sometimes. So like when you, uh, when you're talking about collapse zone, um, I hit that sometimes when I teach and tell them the same thing that Rob just said, just said. And the first person that I heard address that uh, when I was coming up was Colin Kelly out of uh, Clark County, Nevada. And so um, when he started talking about that, it shifted my brain and into looking at collapse zones. And like, if you really look at how a, a type five building is put together, a wood frame building is put together, um, this contemporary buildings, they don't come apart the same as uh, masonry buildings. And so the collapse zone idea is um, it doesn't really fit that, that building either. It's, it's, if you can, that's great. But in most people's territory, uh, in my department, you can't even get out of the collapse zone. Like there's places in my territory where uh, it's not possible to even get in the complex in of some of these apartments and not be in the collapse zone. You would just be parked out on the street uh, and you would have to carry your ladders and stretch your hose for a quarter mile or longer. Some of our stretches would be 3,000 feet up into the complex. Um, so you've got to be in the collapse zone of what they would traditionally call the collapse zone, but you got to understand that the building doesn't collapse that way. So um, if if you don't understand those things, what will happen right. is we'll end up unnecessarily restraining ourselves. Or on the other side of it, if you think that you can do whatever you want anytime and don't understand when you can't, then you'll end up in a position where you could get people hurt because you should have held them back. So those are those are the two poor outcomes is either you hold people back unnecessarily or you or, don't hold them back when you need to. And right. knowing your buildings helps you avoid both of those uh, poor outcomes. Real quick, throwing at you from Facebook. Uh, first of all, I wanted to bring this up, which was the first drinking game suggested. Uh, take a shot anytime someone says modern. OK, so that you keep that in <laughs> mind. Anytime someone says modern, he's on it. 100 um, percent. One hundred percent. That came from Amanda Miller. I'm pretty sure, but it's already. I say contemporary. Past. Either way, <laughs> uh, I don't know if that qualifies, but um, I, I purposely don't say the M word because what what is modern? When when did modern come about? I'm going to say it a bunch right here for anybody that's following along. Modern started what 50, 60 years ago. I say contemporary because mid-century that's, modern construction. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, yeah, I say contemporary because it's broadly me, used. I, it is broadly. It's a very big brush. People like to slap modern fuel package. You know, modern fuel versus legacy. What's a legacy fuel? Is it, does any of it exist anywhere but a museum? You know what I'm saying? Great, great grandma's house, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> she's been to IKEA. She, but even she has plastic over the, right. that stuff. Like, there's those, <laughs> that furniture's covered in plastic anyway. That so. was the first liquid gasoline couch <laughs> it was grandma's with the plastic on it the, the plastic okay questions coming from the audience are you ready yeah kyle tahone said 
No, tone, <laughs> tone. I I have pronunci- uh Anyway, question: What is Words the most? Hard. What is the most common building construction misconceptions you hear in the American Fire Service? How do you confront it in a way that doesn't alienate or belittle, but brings on allies instead? Most common. Uh roofs kill firefighters working on roofs i mean that's i am so fucking tired of that and i i have no problem dropping the f-bomb there um you know bill carey has got some great stuff going on in his on his uh page um uh data not drama he just came out with another one and 11 years since a firefighter is line of duty death of a firefighter working on a roof and uh, I am so tired of hearing that. And I think it is, it's, it's definitely misunderstood. And I, and I will, I, I can't say that I own it, but my department definitely owns it. When I came in, in the late eighties, we were all fan and look, you don't have to go to the roof and risk your life. And we made a transition. We did that through the nineties. And, and now I would say we're pretty aggressive uh, on the roof when it's needed. And the big issue is, is, you know, making statements like you're signing your firefighters death certificates. Well, we haven't done that in 11 years. Let's just say that. But when we're fire, when we're signing our firefighters death certificates by sending them to the roof, I think the conversation needs to be more on is the roof efficient, a roof operations, is it efficient for the fire ground, given your resources? And if you have a ton of resources, LA City is a prime example, and there's other departments, um, DeCab as well. If if you've got the resources, going to the roof is is a very um, effective way of of controlling the fire ground, and it is not swallowing up our firefighters and and killing them. Uh, do firefighters get hurt on the roof? Yes, and, uh, and just the same as they do doing PT or doing weightlifting at work and all these other different things. Firefighters are going to get hurt, and uh, and I don't want to you know, belittle that in any way, but, right. but we're just not killing firefighters on the roof. So I think the, the whole concept of the roof construction, lightweight engineered, whatever it is and how bad it is, 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 is not as big of a deal that everybody's been saying. I think it's, there's been a lot of fear mongering and I'll even go a step further to say, I'd rather be on an engineered roof than be on an older contemporary or not contemporary and older, um, a conventional constructed roof because there are certain things that I'm more in, in tune to when it comes to engineered roofs that I can understand what, you know, what level the fire is at versus some of these roofs that have been built for over a hundred years. And yeah, they might be able to withstand fire, but when they don't, they just collapse the whole thing. And that makes it a little bit different. Right on, right on. Will I you- would say from the engine oh, side, sorry, Kyle, I'll go from the engine side as well. There are large departments that get away with poor tactics on the engine company because their truck company culture is so strong. And if you take that away from those large departments, you're going to see a lot of guys start to get jammed up. And I'm close to a very large organization that fits that bill Mm. that just recently had an issue with a guy on the roof walking cross country that there is talk about discussions about sweeping change with topside work, which is going to put guys in the position to get jammed up due to the fact that they're so used to having a strong truck company culture right and their their engine company culture just just is not there to operate without that truck company culture so sorry will 
That's a no, great no, no, comment. no, no, Kyle. I think it's a great. I, I don't want to. I don't want to leave you out. And 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 one of the most aggressive topside ventilating cities in the country. For sure, a strong, very strong truck company culture, and they would not be able to make the headway on the engine. They don't have the ability in most cases without that good topside work in the hood. Um, and if you take that away from them, it's going to put them in positions to get jammed up. Now I'll rotate to William. Yeah, sorry, buddy. No, it's beautiful. Uh, I appreciate uh, follow, it. Following with uh, with what Robbie was saying about uh, the the engineer slash uh, lightweight. I don't I don't really like the the word lightweight, but um, the engineered stuff, the the general fire service opinion of things uh, tends to skew towards the negative in, in anything that we're talking about, and it's kind of framed that way since the days of Brannigan's first book. Uh, everything is doom and gloom. Everything's out to kill you. It's all going to fall down and and people are going to die. Um, I don't think that any one particular construction material or method is inherently bad. Uh, so generally, any anytime somebody has um, that kind of approach to it, that's, that's the biggest myth and misconception is that uh, engineered is bad or that new is bad and things like that. Because um, I've got pictures of all kinds of old stuff. Anybody that works around any old buildings has pictures and experiences with old buildings where old is not better. Old is way, way worse. Like Robbie was talking about, like nothing was square or plum or level or true. It, it's all out of whack. And anybody that's ever tried to rehab or, uh, or renovate an old house can tell you how hard it is to lay tile or flooring or anything that needs a straight line or cabinets any of that because old is not better it may have just been bigger because that was the thing that uh, stealing a line from from james uh about mass over math at some point in the past from the days that they started cutting down trees and using them if they wanted to make something stronger they just made it bigger and bigger. at some point they they transitioned to uh having better math better engineering and the ability to split things up into smaller pieces to make things more efficient and so you transition from mass to math and somehow o along the way, the fire service has become afraid of that. Right. Um, but that's not, it's not inherently bad or worse. It's just, but ju just to dumb it down, they used to make it out of bigger shit and it took longer to burn that stuff. It did. But, but a lot of times they made it out of bigger stuff because they didn't know what else to do. Right. Like that's, that, that was the way that it, but it was overbuilt and not necessarily better quality, just bigger stuff. You right. can use bigger stuff and put it together poorly. Uh, there's a lot of arched roofs that were built really, really robustly, you know, from uh, from the outside. But then over time, they just don't hold up. Right. They were under engineered. And so that's why we don't have as many arched roofs as we used to, because some of them were just poorly engineered because the engineering wasn't there. And they've all fall. Those have fallen for the most part. Those kind of like um, uh, Darwinism, the buildings that sucked, they've already burned or fallen down. There's a reason that we don't have you know, as many buildings from back then as we do from now. It's because those buildings that were built didn't last for a, a number of reasons, but one of which is they weren't better. No, it's solid. It's a great misconception because, I mean, I think the American Fire Service would say older is better, you know, stamp of approval, boom, done. And and, and that, that challenges that 100%. Our, our struggle is going from, I mean, I work in the contemporary environment, right? 
And so there is some parts of the area that, that um, in my jurisdictions or the jurisdictions I respond to around me that have older turn of the century type constructions, unreinforced masonry and that kind of things. But you can identify those pretty quickly by knowing where you're going and knowing your area. And, you know, this part of the city is, is very old, but generally speaking, all the firefighting, I would say 98, 95 to 98% of the firefighting I've done for 35 years has been in that newer type of construction. And it's not going to change. It's not going to change. And so what we need to do as firefighters, we have to have a good understanding of it. We have to have a good understanding of what we can and cannot do. And I feel, I mean, I can see how guys that grew up in the 70s and 80s in in like an East Coast department, and they all they dealt with was conventional construction. And then the McDonald's got built on the corner and it was built, you know, engineered. And then the McDonald's catches fire and they're like, holy cow, that thing collapsed in like 20 minutes. Right. Well, yeah, of course, it's different. And so that transition for those big city urban departments is got to be challenging for them. But the majority of the American fire service is not doing that. The majority of the American fire service is fighting fires in this newer type of construction. And so we need to be aware of what's going on, how it's going to, how the fire ground is going to change because of it. And, and we've adapted. I'm not having any issues with, with, with our fire ground. I don't know, you know, William, are you having issues or, or Kyle, are you having any issues? Because I know that we are dealing with the same stuff. I don't work for FDNY. Right. You know what? I don't have arch roofs, bowstring roofs, whatever you want to call it, that are 100 years old. That's just not what 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 environment I'm in. But I will tell you, we do have, we have a true bowstring where I work. And I know exactly where it is. And if it catches fire, it's not going to be the fire that we're going to be fighting. Is because I know way? it's... No, it's not a Safeway. <laughs> it was an old, it was an old uh, lumber yard thing, and it's cable. The bow is actually a cable. It's oh, not wow. a tie rod. But, yeah, it's not even a tie rod. It's cable, and so that building, we know that building is is dangerous, and that as soon as it were to get anywhere outside of a a you know a contents fire, there's no go on it. You know, right. but see, I have the benefit of I can identify those buildings fairly quickly because there's not very many of them where I work. But if I were to work for FDNY or I work for Chicago or wherever, where it's getting this blend and it's a 50-50 blend, I could see how it could be challenging. But we've got to figure out a way to be able to understand all types of building construction, period. And it's got to be start leaning towards the newer type of construction because that's what, what the majority of the American fire service is fighting in. And that's what we're going to see 50 years from now when none of us are still on the job. Love it. What counts as newer, though? You asking me, William? Open question. Yeah, Open question. Yeah, sure. uh, you asking what, me? What asking happened? the panel. What, what counts as newer? Uh, you know, when people talk about newer stuff and engineered stuff and lightweight, man, they've been building trusses the same way since the 60s. Like, oh, gang, I see. That was a setup. Nail, that was a setup. Good job, gang, William. <laughs> gang, nail trusses, gang nail trusses went out of, out of style in the 70s when they started pressing them things in. Uh, they've been building them that way since at least the late 60s in, in a lot of areas, in the late 70s in my area. Um, we've been dealing with the same trusses for that long, and we've been burning those for that long. So that's not new for most of the, the U.S. That's not new. That's not – You know what, you know what I think is like funny modern. is 
what what I think is funny is this all went to shit in the 2020s or 2000 mid 2000s and all of these trusses have been here for a long long time but now it's just like oh my god can you believe the stuff that they're making like you probably lived in this when you were a kid (laughs) yeah i think people would be surprised at how old some of the materials are um there's a new building system that's popping up in my territory and we're not going to go down that rabbit hole, but there there's stuff that pops up in people's areas that they haven't seen before. And they assume that it's new. Uh, this building system that they're using in my area um, has been used since the eighties. It, it's the system is almost as old as I am and I've never seen it before. So it's new to me, but that's no reason to be alarmed about it just because it's new to me. Uh, it's the same with building instruction across the U S it starts somewhere and moves. And when it hits your area, it it could have been three decades after it started. Other people are like, yeah, that's normal. That's what we deal with every day. Why are you freaking out about it? But it's new to you. And so all of a sudden it's alarming. Like wait till, wait till panelized roofs start hitting the East coast. Wait, wait till hurricane windows come somewhere where there's not hurricanes. And people are like, do you know they make windows you can't get through? I'm like, yeah, Yeah. it was been in Florida for a long time. Yeah. I don't know. What does it take? It could take a two by four at 90 miles an hour and, and you're not going to get through it with a Halligan bar or anything. But right. but that's a good point is that as it starts to transition from whatever part of the country to another part of the country, people are going to freak out. You're like, well, hey, just slow down. Take in the information, figure it out. Don't freak out and figure out, you know, talk to the people that have been dealing with this stuff. All right. I got one coming at you. I want to get the audience involved. So I'm bringing it back. Matt Donnie asked this a while ago, so I wanted to throw it at you. Please tell everyone that LSL and OSB are not killers. Well, Matt, well, Matt just I'm going to leave it. that. I'm going to leave. You just said it. <laughs> you just did, Matt. Thanks, Donnie. You, you did it. Matt covered it. <laughs> no, uh, I, I assume he wants to kind of get into that a little bit. We can. Um you want to oh, hit that? It's up to you guys. I'm, I, this, I think that's one of the things that we wanted it. to kind of touch on was some of the the composite uh, building materials, the the composite lumber products that are out there. Um, they're they're very different. So just generally, just talking in in just broad terms, um, if you come across a composite lumber product, uh, whether it's laminated strand lumber (LSL) uh, or uh, LVL, which is very common, uh, laminated veneer lumber uh, (PSL). Uh, all the the different um, composite lumber products that are out there. Generally speaking, um, you can regard them as the same uh, as any dimensional component of the same size in that same rated assembly. So, in in non fancy words, if they if it's the same size and they use it the same way, treat it the same as any other lumber that you would come across. Uh, the difference is if it burns the same. Uh, and it uh, chars the same. The problem that we run into is that it's stronger. So if you have these engineered composite lumber products, um, they may burn through at the same rate, or they may spread uh, fire and, and contribute to the fire load the same way as you know the same size dimensional lumber, but they're holding a lot more distance or a lot more weight on top of them. So when they fail, which is not really any sooner than the same size component, they may actually be more responsible. So they may be holding a larger opening 
or a larger floor area or something like that. So that's our main concern is not that they fail fast because they don't. They're very strong. They're very robust, even with fire, with water, any of that stuff. Those are not concerns. The concern is now we got to look at, okay, how much responsibility does this component have in this building? In this system. Yeah, that's our biggest concern. And that goes for any construction material or or method. That's that's a major concern no matter what. So that's one of those foundational principles. You want to look at how is the load transmitted and okay, if it's transmitted to this very large member and that member fails, what else goes with it? What's what is impact? it responsible for? All right. So I'm going to put this in the truck terms for those that like to chew on their crayons. Basically, right <laughs> a two by four, you might see a part of a wall that would have three two by fours sandwiched together. And when we're looking at some of this material, one piece would be able to support what those three two by fours would be able to do is what William is telling you. And the problem, I mean, this, this stuff is expensive. It's, it's very well engineered. Um, the problem is, is that, you know, then they see that and they go, oh, well, look, it failed. And like, well, it's because it's holding the same weight that three two by fours would be holding. And, and it's, you know, it, the, the three two by fours would have failed as well. Right. I, I mean, it really yeah. is what it comes down to. And it gets the, it gets the bad, you get blamed for it as like, oh, look, this is this shit that, you know, engineers and construction companies are coming up with that are killing firefighters. I'm like, well, I don't know that I would say that. It's not, though. Like, when you look at what's killing firemen, firemen are dying in usually single-digit numbers for the whole year in uh, either violent fire events or building collapses. Those are, those are the two big things that we were actually concerned with on the fire ground that we, it, with building construction anyways. Um, and it's single digits most years, low doubles sometimes. Uh, it's been as low as one in 2017, like total for the whole fire service in the U.S. One person died uh, inside a building or on a building that had a rapid fire event or uh, a collapse. One. In other years, it's it's low or it's single digits. But so it's not the construction materials or anything. It's not the building really that's killing firemen out of those uh, you know, 80 or so firemen that are dying every year. It's not that. Um, that's not to say that we don't need to make sure that we're looking at that. We don't want those numbers to creep up. Uh, we don't want it to get worse because we're ignoring it. But it's not something that's, I don't think it's worth the alarm that's been attributed to um, the buildings. And for that matter, the the building is just a building. It's not out to get you. It's not. It's not built with any sort of animosity in it uh it just is mm-hmm. uh one thing that uh you know you see these these posts with these oh look they're making studs out of osb now and everything's gonna fail so much faster and they're, they're just doing it so they can be as cheap as possible and you actually look into it and it's like no those things cost twice as much because they're like really good for making smooth walls yeah and, so uh, Specifically, uh, since Donnie asked about LSL, laminated strand lumber, um, there's been a post um, that came out. It, it really got a lot of traction and became viral in 2018. Uh, a volunteer fire department in Indiana um, posted it and and said, uh, using some pretty hyperbolic language, said, uh, this is uh, two by fours made of OSB. They're making things, you know, cheaper and cheaper and all these, these, these sort of um, ridiculous things that they said. And it went viral. Um, it spread all over the fire service and continues to get recycled 
from time to time, usually every few years, somebody will pick it back up. If it's not that post, it's the picture. And what that material was, was it was specifically uh, Louisiana Pacific's uh, Solid Start LSL. Um, it's just that particular brand. It was an ad that they had run where they had built a whole house out of LSL. That's not something you'll ever see. Ever, 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 ever. That would be um, a lot of money. Holy cow, dude. <laughs> like, there's no reason to do it. It doesn't give you a huge advantage. It would cost you um, like seven to ten times more just in the stud package. It's, it's Perfect it's, lines. It's insane. Yeah, I mean, everything would be, if if you cut everything and assembled everything, it would be square and true and plumb forever. But you don't need everything in a house to be that way. You can fudge a lot of other stuff. So where they use that is in limited application. If they need a wall to be dead straight and stay that way, um, the engineered materials will uh, they will hold their their shape forever. They don't expand. They don't twist. They don't have any of the the natural defects that uh, dimensional lumber or cut lumber does. So if you need a high quality product in limited application, they'll do it. If you have pocket doors, you don't want your doors to get jammed, you know, 25 years down the road. So you need that pocket to be very straight and true forever. Uh, if you have a wall that you're hanging um, cabinets on and you want the cabinetry process to be faster, smoother, and cheaper, then you might spend a little extra on the studs for that wall to make it dead straight right, right. so that you don't have to shim the cabinets uh, if you need a wall to be dead straight so you don't have to float it out with drywall and mud, uh, then that saves you time and, and energy and, and money. Uh, th those are the limited areas where you would use some of these products. Uh, LVL gets used in every house, every apartment that I see nowadays um, because it's so dang strong. Every garage opening, um, a lot of floor systems are going to have laminated veneer lumber, which is this. It's uh, It looks... It's, it looks kind of orangish or yellow on the outside, and it looks like really, really beefy um, plywood. Um, right. It's super, super dense, though. It's not built like plywood. Um, if people are used to plywood, you know, not handling the elements very well, the good thing about all of these engineer materials is that the adhesives that they use to put them together, um, they are a thermoset um, polyurethane adhesive, and they are extremely water-resistant all the way up to waterproof. Um, in some cases, and they are extremely heat resistant. So that's why I say when when it just broadly speaking about these materials, um, the adhesives that are used to put them together do not contribute to the fire load. They don't act as accelerants. They don't off gas and become flammable. They don't uh, delaminate. That stuff doesn't happen with these materials. Um, what actually ends up happening is that the wood fibers start degrading uh, faster than the adhesives that hold them together. Mm. And so, but the cumulative effect is that the, the wood behaves the same. So if I have this, this piece of two by 10, uh, that's LSL, um, it's going to act like two by 10 dimensional lumber when it's on fire. Uh, but it can go, it can span a lot further. Right. Unsupported than a two by 10. And it's, it's perfectly straight and it's going to stay that way. It's not going to shrink, warp, twist, bow, check, any of that stuff that dimensional lumber will. So I don't have to worry about um, trying to find the best two by tens out of a giant, you know, bunk wow. of two by tens that all right. suck. So, okay. Uh, questions there's, coming there's, some, there's, there's some questions. I want to address a couple of them. Okay. Go Nolan, on. 
Nolan Nolan is talking about vertical ventilation 10 years. He strongly disagrees. The only thing I would say, Nolan, I'm I'm not going to disagree with you because I don't know where you work. I don't know how much fire duty you guys see. But I think Kyle hit on it is that um, there are some departments that are really good with hose operations. I'm not going to say my department's not because I think we are. But when you have a very aggressive hose operation, you can probably get away with not having so much vertical ventilation. But I think when you combine really aggressive hose operations with educated, well-aggressive roof operations for vertical ventilation, um, my experience has been great. And, and I, and I would, I would say that um, I would disagree with that a comment that, that, you know, you don't get any positive out of vertical ventilation. I think you do. And even UL said you do, it's the most efficient way of, of, of removing the contaminants and everything out of the structure. I think it comes down to your operations, the amount of resources you have, all that kind of stuff. And, and if you don't have it, then you don't have it. And, and I can see how that would be possible. The other thing that I saw in the questions or a comment was uh, roof ladders with uh, modern construction. I said modern. That was their question. And not having here. I'm I'm with you guys. Sorry. This is oh, a Robbie's 20... doing that. Hey, I got to go get some more. If Robbie's going to be saying modern. <laughs> it's a it's a 2020 Syrah. That's what I'm drinking tonight. So, um, but anyways, the um, contemporary construction. And roof ladders without the um, the ridge beam, yeah. Really, the the problem I think the the misconception of of having a roof ladder is that we're using it to um, we're using it as support to be able to work on the roof. And I would tell you right now is if you're standing on a roof ladder and you're thinking that the roof is not, you need to have the roof ladder to be there because of integrity. You're in the wrong spot. Right. Okay. A roof ladder is purely for footing. That's it, footing. It's not for distribution of weight. It's not to be on nasty roofs that can't handle our weight. If that's the case, you shouldn't be there. So to your question, I would say, yeah, I have no problem with the uh, contemporary roof construction, engineered roof construction and roof ladders. It's all about footing. And coming from an area where we have moss on our roofs and we have um, frost from times and everything. That's when we're doing it outside of that. We, we really are not, unless it's super steep, but you know, we're really not using roof ladders for, for our operations. Did you, I missed it. Uh, did you talk about the lack of a ridge on a lot of contemporary construction? Yes. Like with trusses? Well, that was the question was, would you use a roof ladder on it? And I'm like, it's roof ladders are used for footing, not for. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's okay. That's what I thought you were going with. Right. It. Uh, right. By the way, Robbie, I just want to, represent oh, uh, a little bit of uh, Seattle here. Yes, that's very um, good. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know if this, we were going to get to whiskey tonight because I know. Uh, well, I didn't intend to. I told Robbie I didn't want to waste time on it, but uh, I just <laughs> wanted to show him that we've got a little, uh, little of Seattle up here. Some that's West right. uh I want to. I want to bring up uh, what what classification is a forty five foot aluminum ranch? What does that fall under? And <laughs> I don't know if this is this in what is this in Texas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have three-story aluminum ranches in Texas, by the here's, way. Here's a crazy thing. So I went up to Alaska for I'm, – I'm part of the Fools, and I go up there for a Fools uh, convention, and they like, we have type 6 construction. I'm like, uh, I've never heard of a type 6 construction. <laughs> well, we take a bus and make it a home. We take yeah. – you know, before it was cool in <laughs> Seattle to take containers, shipping containers, and make them homes, they had them. Blue tarps are homes. I mean, they're – 
So Alaska is listing all this type six construction. It's everything that does not meet. So maybe that's the answer to our, our earlier conversation is type six is anything that doesn't meet in the, in the conventional type fives. So, so that, um, type six, I, I use that. Um, I stole that from, from you, Robbie, from that exact story. So when I do my presentation and we go through the types, we do one through five and then I show them a picture of, this stack of what looks like somebody assembled trailers, like the way that Ed Gain assembled masks out of, you know, people's skin. And it's just a stack <laughs> of trailers. And I ask it, say, hey, what, what type is this? And they're all like, I, I don't know, type five. I'm like, this is type six, anything you can find. So that's <laughs> it, but it exists and it, you can find it anywhere. We've, we've probably got some in the cab um, all over I the gu- place out, out to the fringes and stuff. I guarantee every, everybody that's listening tonight, and that's going to check in on this later on. They have a type six construction in their department. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, on. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, getting abstract here. I like this question It's coming at you. It's coming from Andrew Feskins magic wand. I like magic wand questions. Cause it's just fun. Um, what one piece of the fire building code would you change, eliminate or fix? Oh, geez. Whoever wants it. I'll, in fact, I'll throw it to Kyle, the guest host. Change, <laughs> eliminate. Like... Wait, what? <laughs> Yeah, but I want to include I want to include him, so throw it at him. He doesn't want this question. Uh I would you say punt. you can punt. Well, there's an out there for me because it says fire code. Right. Instead of and also building code. I would change the ability for uh hotels to have longer than a hundred and fifty foot span without a standpipe. We've got a hotel in our district with a three hundred and thirty foot hallway with mm. uh no standpipes. So that's 330 feet from the stairwell standpipe. So no, no hose stairway. cabinets in the middle. Nope, none. Because it's a mid-rise. Ah, it's okay. less than 75 feet. Mm. Yeah, I think they cut the top off the antenna to make it 74 and three quarters. You know, <laughs> I got they, a house in my territory that they put a flat roof on because it was too tall. It was. It's only a two-story house, but the the attic and the the roof would have been so tall that it was too tall for the code for. For residential buildings, it's that that big because it has fourteen foot interior ceiling. So yeah, I, I get that. Yeah, just skirting around it. Well, there's my out, and now back to business. <laughs> hey, uh, a, few <laughs> minutes, a few minutes ago, James Johnson did check in and said, "Sorry, I can't be on, boys. Miss you all." So that did happen. I just wanted to. I, I wanted to. Let hope he's know. hope he's feeling better. Um, I, I'm going to take the. Well, I don't want to say the easy one. But the mission of the fire service is to save lives. And the one thing that saves lives is sprinklers. And so I, we built our house in Vegas and I asked if we could sprinkler, sprinkle it, I guess would be the proper term if I'm using my right wording. And they said no. So I would say if we sprinklered or sprinkled residential housing, we would, we would, you know, there's not going to be as much work for us. But we would we would save way more lives, so mm. that would be my um my change. Oof. William, yeah, magic wand. Uh, I don't know. I don't really want this question. <laughs> <laughs> you can always punt. Yeah, no, we're uh, pass it to is, James. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's send it. <laughs> let's send it to James. He's he's actually uh he's part of the uh, IAFF's team that deals with the building construction industry. I wish he was in in here for this question because that's his thing. That's his forte. 100%. uh, Dirk Janik wants to know, I'm more concerned about engineered building material built by shitty craftsmanship. You think quantity over quality built houses pose a greater risk to us when they are on fire? I'll take that. So 
just because it's newer or older does not make it inherently better or worse quality wise. Um, there's new stuff that's high quality and there's old stuff that's really, really bad. I think we kind of touched on that earlier. Right. Yeah. So um, yes, there are bad builders. There are builders who are known for their, their whole, just like there's bad anything in any industry. There's uh, businesses that are known. People know that they are just crappy at what they do and you get what you pay for in those cases. So yeah, I'm not saying that everything's hunky dory and that every house is built amazing, but there are bad craftsmen, individuals. Uh, I don't even know if you'd call them craftsmen. There are bad uh, tradesmen who who do not care that they're building poorly, and there right. are bad bosses who do not care that their tradesmen are building poorly. But there's the same in the fire service. You have absolutely crappy employees who are managed by crappy uh, company officers, mm. and you know all the way up the chain. And you don't throw the whole fire service out and say that it's it's all bad. There's there are bad elements within that, and yeah, I wish we could. That's the thing I would change. How about mm. that? In no. in the building industry, I wish that you just had better quality, but you get what you pay for, and people don't want to pay for it. So that's the market. No, that's a great answer, and it's magic wand answer. Uh, Dirt Janik following up said, "Modern roof construction, SFR or MFR." Seems to scare the shit out of chiefs. We've got pulled out of the whole structure when the roof started to collapse. Is partial roof collapse a good reason to pull out, or are we too careful because we don't know how roofs are constructed? Hope that makes sense. So if you need clarification, oh, I'll take that. Single family and multifamily, is that the... Yeah, that's what he's, I think that's okay. what he's going. Gotcha. I'll, I'll start it off, and I'll let William jump in because I no longer work on a ladder truck, and, and he does. But um, work. First of all, First of all, uh, partial collapse is relative to the size of the building. So, you know, when we when we're looking at partial collapse, if I'm on a if I'm on a single family dwelling and it's a you know 1,100 square foot Rambler and I'm working on the roof and and a third of that roof falls in, I mean, what am I really here saving? Versus if I'm on a large house and so again single family dwelling. Um, I've got 5,000 square foot single family dwellings that have multi pitches. And, and if I have a partial collapse in this area, that doesn't mean the whole roof is off is what I would say. And then if we're looking at multifamilies, you're looking at, um, it, at least I can speak from my jurisdiction on, on what our multifamily structures are like 16 units in a, in a building on, on two stories. If I'm just doing a basic two story. So we're talking a huge run, 300 feet, probably. Right. And, and if I have a partial collapse, uh, there's plenty of roof there. And so I think what it is, in my opinion, and, and, uh, what I've experienced, it depends on where you work and, and how, how, what was the truck work like before these individuals promoted the battalion chief? And a lot of the battalion chiefs in my area never worked on a, on a, on a dedicated ladder truck because of the way that our, 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 our fire service in this region grew. And so they have zero experience. And so when you have zero experience in something, you don't feel comfortable with it. And it's real easy. Um, and even as a battalion chief now for myself, um, I find myself like doing posturing a little bit when something's going on on the fire ground because I don't have any control. And when you have control and you know your ability and you know what you can and cannot do, and now you're giving it to somebody else, it is difficult at times. And I would say that if you're not comfortable and you don't trust your people and you don't want to train with your people and you don't want to see 
what's going on. You don't want to, you don't want to help your people. Then don't become a battalion chief. You know, if you're doing it just because of the pay and you're doing it just because of the title, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And I'm telling you, I feel pretty good about being a BC and, and Corley, you and I have talked about how much I think BC is the best position in the fire service. And I know others would argue with me that company officer is. That's because you but- never tillered, Rob. Well, uh, <laughs> no, sorry. I did. You I ne- crashed. You, yeah. I you crashed. never tillered anything that didn't crash. Sorry. There that's- you go. There you go. Okay. Well, that's another story for a <laughs> different day. But what I would say is, is I take my job as a battalion chief real serious. And I, and I think my time working on, on the ladder truck really helped me out. And one of the challenges that I have in my region is trying to get the other battalions to see and to trust their people that they're not trying to go out and kill themselves. And that I would tell you right now, the best per- the best thing you can do on the fire ground when shit's hitting the fan is make sure you got people on the top side being able to give you a view. And I'm not talking about, you know, having it on a gable or a, a pitched roof, but a lot of these commercial buildings that we're dealing with, um, with the flat roofs, if you don't put crews on the roof, you can't tell what's going on. You will tell, you will tell the, the progress of the fire and the condition of the building by the roof. I'm telling you that right now. And so when you have people up there, and this is one thing I love about blue card is that roof report. And I wouldn't pull them off the roof. If, if, if I'm going to put them on the roof, I want them to do work, but I want them to be there to be able to tell me what's going on because I'm going to know what's going on in the fire ground. So um, I would just say that it's probably because your battalions don't have a lot of fire experience or let me back up. Your battalions don't have a lot of fire experience working on a ladder truck or doing vertical ventilation. And I can understand that because if you guys didn't do it and then all of a sudden you promote, now you're the one that's granting the wishes. You're probably not likely to do that because you just don't, you don't, you don't understand it. You don't trust it. Beautiful answer. 100%. So yes, I did. I did crash somebody else's tiller truck. If, (laughs) um, so with the, the collapse thing, um, I think we'd have to look at like what are what do different people consider collapse because in most of our wood frame buildings, most of our single family and multifamily buildings that that we do most of our fires with, probably nationwide, um, they don't really collapse so much as they just kind of burn away and little pieces fall into the attic. Um, we generally don't get large failures over large areas of a roof. It takes because of the way that they're built. And if you think about the way that things are put together and you think about your observations in your buildings, um, I would imagine that unless you're dealing with some old legacy stuff, like, like Rob talked about, like turn of the century stuff where things have fewer components that are much larger. So when one thing fails, it's responsible for a lot larger area, but in the, in the modern wood frame, I said modern, um, in the contemporary wood frame environment, um, you're you're looking at things broken up over um many more pieces that if one fails they can't all fail right it just can't do it it's not possible it's not responsible for enough of that building to where even if a single whole truss whole truss goes you can't you can't cause failure of the entire roof is not possible even if you get into larger trusses they're you know feet apart uh more than just you know inches apart it's still very difficult to bring down an entire roof with just a truss failure. You have to have something larger, like a wall failure that's responsible for multiple trusses at the same time. So when you're talking about collapse, partial collapse, and and you got to look at if it's a local failure, um, that's probably just some burn through in an area. 
No big deal. Local failure, that's easy. You can work around that. We cause local failure when we cut the roof. Our vent holes are a local failure of that roof. So is every other penetration in that roof. If you think about it, like every vent hole that's already being used, all the little, you know, turtle shell vents, all the the stuff that's already sticking up out of that roof, those are all local failures already. They're holes in the roof and we don't freak out about them. And then if it gets bigger, you have more pieces of it fall, fail and fall in, or or even if you have a small regional failure that causes some co- sort of collapse-like event, that still doesn't compromise the entire roof. Right. It takes a lot more than that in most of the roofs, but you have to look at your construction because if you have a roof design that is wildly different from that, or that's your normal is not that, then yeah, I can't make a blanket statement that applies to your roof if you have something different than that. But in in what we usually look at, which is, um, you know, engineered or truss or stick built, uh, single and multifamily roofs, um, those failures happen routinely, and right. you just work around them. You trade distance for time for work time. And you continue to do what you need to do. And if all that is, is observe, like Rob was talking about, just give reports and continue to be eyes in the sky. That's fine. Um, that's still extremely valuable, probably more valuable than anything else. Because And like Dirk said, it's, it's local, it's local failure, not collapse. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, I don't, I don't worry about that. We, we just trade, you have to use really good knowledge, skills, and experience um, to still operate around that. You, you can't just get up there and, um, you know, willy nilly your, yourself into, you know, good quality roof operations. But um, that alone is not reason to avoid being on the roof. Right. If there are other things that start to stack up with that, then maybe you say, OK, my my resources are better allocated somewhere else. Like, OK, if it has burned through and this roof is not that big, then we're not really going to gain much because we don't have a lot of buffer space to work from. Uh, if the roof is very, very large and we have a small burn through area, then we trade some distance for time. And then we also know that our our vent or whatever we do is going to be less effective, less efficient because it's remote from the fire. Right. And then we have to know what it's going to do to the travel of that fire. It's Instead of being able to go straight up and out, we may be pulling it over the heads of some guys inside. And so we may make a decision that that's not what we want to do. So it's not worth it for us to continue. Uh, based on what we're looking at on the roof. But if you don't have anybody on the roof to evaluate, you're operating blind. Um, you. Especially the, the larger the building gets, the more valuable that is. You know, no, no, that, square I foot. think that that encapsulates it right there. If you don't have people on the roof, you're operating blind. I think yeah, and really on 1,000 square foot to 1,500 or even 2,000 square foot single families, you know, depending on your response model and, and what you're dealing with. Um, we, my, my department, I, I think, is is very aggressive and very... Uh, we value roof ops. Um, I I don't. I work in a slow area of my department. I don't get on the roof that much. Um, I haven't been on more roofs than Santa Claus. But the guys that do it day <laughs> in and day out, that that get on those roofs on a regular basis, they're very good at what they do. And right. even they don't get on the roof on every fire, right. just because our response model does not lend us um, the the stacked. Uh, you know, manpower to be able to do that on every fire. Right. Um, but when it does need to be done and we do have the manpower and everything lines up, it's it, a little, a little hole, a little fire blowing through, you know, what used to be a plumbing vent. Like you got to think about how did the fire break through? Did it actually burn through or did it just melt through? 
did it take something that was plastic and melt it out so that now it's 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 right there right. where where a, a roof vent used to be and now you've got a you know one by one hole that's not going to keep you from doing your job it shouldn't right it should uh Kevin Pucci wants to know, and I, I, this kind of covers ground we've covered, but I do I do like the question. Watching from Cleveland, Ohio, can you talk about arched roofs, bowstring truss roof in legacy construction, specifically collapse potential, also strategies slash thresholds for operating on lightweight residential truss roofs? Holy that's shit, he just covered that's everything. Like five, that's like five questions in one. He threw it at you. That comes from Cleveland, Ohio. They only throw five questions at a time, so... <laughs> Okay, arch roofs and bowstring. Arch roofs, bowstring, legacy, uh, specifically strategies, thresholds for operating light roof residential trucks. Let me Go. let me guide let me guide this for a second, Robbie. Let's let's deal with uh, let's deal with terminology first, because it's difficult to have this conversation if we don't at least kind of define some stuff. So, what is a bowstring? The tension's kept on the bottom. Like, right. <laughs> that's, yes. that's 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 almost every truss. Every every truss is in compression on top and and tension on the bottom. The, okay. The problem sure. the problem is that the American Fire Service transitioned to calling everything that's arched bowstring, and you can find material that talks about tied trusses and everything, but we've generally said that every arch is a bowstring, and that's that's not the case. Right. So here, I mean, here's the arguments. And 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 I know Mittendorf, um, in Mittendorf's book with uh, Dotson. Oh, Dotson, thank you. They they art, cover a the lot art, of these yeah. things. Yeah, the art of reading buildings. They cover a lot of these things, and 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 I think they do a really good job at trying to trying to clean things up. But we've gotten very dirty with our jargon, and so anything that has an arch, everybody calls it a bowstring, and it's it's not truly the case. And and um, I was on this journey for a long time, and I was looking at um, patents and and like many of the trusses out there, an arched truss built out of construction with you know with wood was called like the the night truss and the Fisher truss and the Moore truss and the <laughs> Romagus truss. Then all of a sudden there was this transition, and they all had different you know they changed the webbing a little bit and. They all had different, you know, different types of of construction to it. But then in the 30s, it's like something changed. Maybe the 30s and the 40s, something changed, and then then everybody started calling their thing the bowstring. Well, the true bowstring was a tied truss, which what what Dodson tied, admitted, tied arch, tied arch. Sorry, is a tied arch, and that is a cable tie rod, whatever it is. So it's not of the same construction of the arch itself. It doesn't have web members at all. So if you lose that bottom, I mean, imagine it like a bow. I mean, that's why they called it a bowstring. Okay. If you lose that, then the arch itself is going to pop out and it does, it can't hold it. And, and so the terminology in the American fire service changed that anything that had an arch was just called bowstring. But the reality is it's kind of like our conversation about roof construction and, and about conventional versus um, uh, conventional versus contemporary. I'm trying to stay away from the M word. Um, <laughs> they all act differently, and so so um, there was some significant events that that took the lives of firefighters that became big issues. And so now we call everything a bowstring. In reality, is 
if I were to say this arch roof that I have on in, in my area, which is has a cable as the bottom, no webbed members, right. so it has an arch truss, that thing, if it gets fire near it, it's going to fail rapidly. I mean, rapidly versus an arched roof with webbed members made out of wood. We can work that roof for 30, 45 minutes. It just all depends on the amount of fire spread. So, so the two are completely different and they mean, and we need to clean up the terminology. And that's, I mean, that's one of the things that as roof pervs we've wanted to try to do. And I don't know that we're going to be able to make headway on that. I'm, you know, I'm hoping one day we can, but we, now we you try know, a little, little at a time. I think the whole fire service, you know, here and there tries. Um, Everybody beats Aaron, their drums. Yeah. Aaron Fields is the best at talking about jargon. And he and I have spent, I don't know, an hour or two talking about jargon and, and stuff just so that I could get better at how I define things and how we, we communicate. Um, but jargon is a big deal. Like if it you is. don't define things and you don't actually have this the, a common language uh, within a trade to talk about stuff, it's very difficult. That's why I asked Rob to talk about how he defines a bowstring because personally, I don't even use the term bowstring anymore. I just say arched roof if I want to be generic. And then if I know more about the actual uh, construction, what it looks like, and what it's made of, then at that point, I'll get more specific. Um, so when I talk about jargon, I, I have four rules. Um, the rules that I use to pick jargon for me is number one, I want it to be descriptive. I want it to paint a picture so that if I say something is a timber arched truss, you can picture that. You could draw it. It's timber, so it's made of wood and probably big pieces of it. It's arched, so you know what shape it is. It's a truss, which means it has web members in the middle. And so timber arched truss is very descriptive. It's also mm-hmm. specific. That's rule number two. Um, I don't want it to be confused for anything else. So a timber arch truss versus a steel arch truss. They got some of the same words, but they're they're different. They're very uh, different in how they behave with fire, uh, wood versus steel. Um, and then, you know, all of the other trusses have their own names and things. So descriptive, specific. I want it to be as universal as possible. So as few exceptions as possible across the board. Um, I want things to apply uh, broadly. So if I Universal say is number three? Yeah. So okay. uh, for instance, like Perlin is a good one. Um, I've if, already used the upward a couple times. Uh, I think Rob's flowing water. Oh. <laughs> um, if, if I say Perlin uh, and I say it to a uh, wood, a, a framing contractor versus a uh, steel erector, then this can mean two different things because they use it differently and they use it differently based on where it is in the building and how it's oriented. A purlin for uh, a framer might be different than a purlin for, uh, you know, a steel erector. And, and that, that becomes an issue when you're talking about flat roofs because flat roofs don't have that direction to refer to now what's a purlin. So I like to use it based on function, not form. So it's universal. Um, And then fourth, the fourth rule is it's got to work for us. If it doesn't work for us in the fire service, then throw it out and find something else that does. I don't really care if it works for um, other industries that we borrow words from. Uh, I don't I don't need their language to work for us. Uh, that's where um, Aaron Fields and I diverge in opinion. He likes to use the language that's already there and co-opt it. And I think a lot of times that causes us issues because even that language is not as universal as we'd like it to be. And so co-opting language from other uh, trades without 
um, being a little more clear about the definitions kind of gets mm -hmm. us in some of the trouble that we're in right now. Um, all of that to say that bowstring, I don't, I don't really use the term bowstring. I specifically define each arch. If it's a, a timber arch truss or a steel arch truss or a lamella or a uh, tide arch or a, um, a Belfast truss or any of those, they're, they're, those are all different arched roofs. Uh, that all have very different construction that's going to behave differently. And that brings us back to what we were talking about earlier about if you don't define them separately, then how are you going to treat them separately when you get on that fire? When you do and figure out what it is, then how do you deal with it? If you only have the word bowstring, then every arched roof is a bowstring. And now you're either going to be artificially uh, hampered or uh, you're, you could be overconfident. You might think, okay, all my bowstrings are, are timber arch trusses. Well, then you get on that one that's steel and it doesn't behave the same. Or you think all my bowstrings are steel and they're going to collapse uh, as soon as they get hot. And you get on one that's timber and you just keep everybody away from it when you could work it. And, so. and, and most importantly for listeners of the scrap, and I want to tie it back to what we talked about in the first 10 minutes of this mega scrap delta is know your district. Which yeah. it, it, it's really because what's the odds that they're going to have 14 types of arched roofs in their district? Just know which type you've got and understand it. Well, it depends on where you're at. Uh, 100%, 100%. I'm not knocking that, but I'm saying is know your district being yeah. the key to take away. Robert Ramirez has a question coming at you. And he said, I'm not nearly as concerned about rafters as I am about shitty decking. Yeah. What are some visual signs or conditions that you guys each look for? as indicators of bad or compromised decking. Great job tonight, brothers. Thank you. Well, <laughs> Kyle's on a Can truck I, now. I Let know. him answer. <laughs> Kyle's a chief in the in the training division. Oh, wait, what? That's he true. outranks us all. When did that happen? Uh, November of last, almost two years, dude. You were on the <laughs> truck. You were on that Quinty thing that y'all built. I rode one day on the Quint. <laughs> And then some goofball <laughs> took a picture of me and put it on Facebook, and now I'm a truckie. That's what happens. <laughs> that's how it is, man. Yep, that's Facts. Um, Facts. Well, um, first of all, <clears throat> I mean, I wish I could share a picture because I got a great picture of waffling. And one of the one of the the things that you're going to see on engineered roofs. Um, I mean, first of all, let's talk about the Pete Dern incident. Everybody has. Everybody has a shit fit over Pete Dern falling through the roof. And um, I probably, in my time working with Firetown, when I was teaching with them a lot, probably had an opportunity to teach or be a part of training Pete Dern. And I know the operations that Firetown was teaching for roof operations is aggressive on sounding. And if you watch the video or you look at the 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 big issue was um i mean there's two big issues one he transitioned from the protected areas of the actual building and then went right over the garage and he wasn't sounding worth a shit and that's using firefighter terminology right there right yeah. and and country. and yeah he was walking cross country and he wasn't he didn't doing... walk cross country he walked straight down the ridge the problem was he he didn't sound where he stepped and he didn't step where he sounded if he had done either of those two things i don't i think that in his experience because he, at, by the time he got to where he punched through, um, he was sounding with both hands at least, which he wasn't doing over the main body of the house, which was just one hand. But by the time he got to where he fell through the the garage, 
he was using both hands. I think that he would, I, I I've never talked to him, but I betting that he would have stopped. It would have hesitated just a little bit if he had sounded out in the field where he ended up stepping, but he was sounding the ridge. And then he stepped to his left about a foot and a half away from the ridge and fell through in between two rafters. He just punched through bad decking. And yeah, I, I have a feeling that if he had either stayed on the ridge, he wouldn't have fallen at that point, maybe later. And if he had sounded out in the field, he wouldn't have taken that step. It came, it comes down to sounding. I mean, it was just, yeah. it's just poor sounding techniques. And, and, um, I don't want to, I don't want to dwell on the incident that much, but you know, when you, when one of the things is he, the conditions that were being presented at the time at that fire didn't allow for easily seeing the, the roof decking. But one of the things I'm talking about is on engineered roofs, when you have OSB or plywood and those types of things is like the decking fails before the trust does. And that, I mean, we, I don't know how we can get the American fire service to understand that more. And the only way is, is actually being on roofs and doing this. I love taking the crews in areas where I know the roof is not going to withstand much longer to get them to, so they can see what the roof looks like and they can feel the difference of the roof. If you don't do that, it makes it really difficult. But from the visual side of things, if you don't have smoke rolling over the top of your roof, you're going to see waffling and waffling is basically the kind of like, imagine it becoming um, corrugated. It's just between trusses, you're going to see the, the the failure of the decking. So that's one of the things that you would see right away. And then, of course, I mean, visual fire and heavy smoke and all those kind of things. And when you're dealing with engineered roofs, it's going to be all about sounding, depending on or, or helping you decide where you're going to be working on that on that roof. The, the thing that I want to tie back to the Pete Duren incident, and this is one thing I was going to try to jump in when William was talking to him earlier about trusses, but... One of the one of the myths that's gone out there is this whole domino effect of trusses. And when you look at the actual incident, so Pete Dern falls through the roof, he falls through the decking, goes all the way into the garage. The trusses that he fell between never failed. They were still standing when the fire was out, when everything was said and done. And that just goes to show that the likelihood is if, you, if you're going to fall through the roof, you're going to fall through the decking between trusses. And if there's trusses that are failing, it's not real easy for you to be where you're at. It'd be very difficult for you to work in that area. You'd never even get to that point because the decking would have failed feet before, before you the hit the, the trusses that would fail. Yeah. And if you're doing good sounding, you would have never made it there. And that's that kind of goes back to when we're looking at the Pete Duren incident. And one day I hope that maybe I can meet him and I'd love to talk and chat with him a little bit more about the incident. But just watching the video, you're going, man. If if he was a sounding more aggressively, probably there's a good chance he would not have been in the situation he was in. So, no, I love it. Love the question. Love the answers. Love the insight. Love the uh, candidness of it. And somebody somebody brought up Hackensack, and I don't know if that was wanting to talk about um, bowstring or what. They threw the year up and the Hackensack, New Jersey, but I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I, I'm not reference. sure what the what the intent was on that. If they were just wanting to memorialize Hackensack, but I, I will tell you this. When I came in the fire service, there was a there was training videos called American Heat. And maybe some of the old old timers know those old VHS videos. Don't trust the trust. Yeah. And I mean that's where we kind of we kind of you know we get rubbed we rub up against uh Dunn and some other guys when it comes to you know don't trust in the trust and 
and the domino effect. And, and I'm just, my experience in working in an environment where we are in um, contemporary construction, engineered construction, I'm not seeing this rapid uh, domino effect of, of trusses. And then the thing with Hackensack, it's a completely different situation that we're looking at. Um, it is an arch truss and they had a ton of weight built into the inside of the trusses itself. And mm-hmm. and the actual collapse, it's not like somebody was on the roof and collapsed and went in with the roof. The actual collapse, it was a, a, a firefighter got trapped, but <clears throat> not taken away from, from any of that. But it's just completely different conditions. It's no right. different when we talk about wall bombs yes. in the incident there, um, which it seems like we cause a lot of riff when we talk about these these incidents. And, and the problem is, is that they worked that roof for a long time and it had a roof over a roof. And and if it's anything, if there's a lesson to be learned out of it, and there was a significant event, is that what you see from the outside and what's going on on the inside and what your information you're getting as a chief officer, you better make sure the two line up because the two weren't lining up for right. that that incident. So and, that's uh, that's the case with both of those. They they have some commonalities, Wald bombs and and Hackensack, and and uh, it's it's strange because I heard of both of those when I came into the fire service, but I, I encounter a lot of rookies in uh, in what I do for my department, and they're not hearing that anymore. It must not be in the textbooks or something, but they're not hearing the names of those two incidents anymore. It's almost a good thing for me because it's a clean slate because they don't have any preconceived notions of, of, you know, arched roofs and, you know, things like that already built into their, their education. Um, But they're not hearing the history of those two. So I think a lot of people are, are losing sight of how we got to where we are in how we think about some of this stuff. And those two incidents were formative they both happened uh, not too far apart in the 70s and 80s, and uh, what they had in common was they were both timber arch truss failures, and in both cases, they burned for over 30 minutes in the truss space after the fire department arrived, and in both cases, they had no significant water on that fire in the truss space for the duration of that until failure. So in wall bombs, it was hidden fire close to the knuckles um, where the truss sits on the wall. And in uh, Hackensack at Hackensack Ford, it was it was profound amount of fire in this entire truss space. In both cases, they were very well built, heavy duty trusses, and in both cases, it was a single truss failure that caused the deaths of multiple firemen at each incident. So, right, um, it wasn't a domino collapse. It wasn't a if one fails, they all fail. It was a single truss, and once that happens, and a bunch of roof section falls in. It's really difficult to fight fire from a defensive posture in that. So yes, naturally there's cascading failure afterwards as things burn, but it what it didn't happen in in the way that a lot of people describe it. And I think what what we lose sight of when we're talking about these and we're talking about historical fires is we want to attribute them to the building. We want to say this was a building failure, a build a construction failure, or or a trust failure, but it. it it's an operational failure. That's what people aren't talking about is, is how did we get to the point that a building failed without anybody recognizing anything for 30 minutes, for 30 minutes, people operated in under and around those, those things that were on fire and nobody said, Hey, you know what? Um, We probably shouldn't be doing this anymore. And in the case of um, Hackensack, the call was given to evacuate 
about 30 seconds before the failure. Mm. And that was naturally too late. And they had radio right. problems and other things like that. It just wasn't sure. enough time to get everybody out, even if they had wanted to and, and gotten the radio traffic through. But so that's that's the issue is that we're and really bad. And you can bad. get into deviation of normalcy and, and how it's yeah, always just, worked before. As, and, and all of it plays into it, I'm sure. As a fire service, we're really bad at um, at actually identifying operational failures and people's bad decisions. If you look at the military, they do it all the time. If you're a military commander and you make a battlefield failure, uh, you'll be eternalized. Everybody knows Custer's name. Everybody knows when Napoleon, you know, his his losses. Everybody knows when when that stuff happens. If you look at even contemporary wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, those things are already historical events that are being broken down. And they talk about how this person made a bad decision here, made an error, a tactical error. We don't do that in the fire service. We just say the building did it. The building got them. Yeah, oh yeah, the it building is. doesn't have feelings, so let's blame them instead of talking like we just talked about Pete Dern and and we did it in a way that I I hope was not taken disrespectfully, but we talk about a, a failure of actions because that is valuable. If we just say the building failed, then we have failed. We have failed to recognize what what we can do to prevent it in the future aside from just not going to this fire or standing outside and watching it burn down. What else can we do? Where else did we fail? that caused this, this problem. And I do agree with you. And I do think there is a fine line and I want to be very clear between uh, crystal clarity of 2020 hindsight and being in the moment. So yeah, I, abs- I, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Okay. But, but you have to, you have to, no, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. You have to look back with hindsight and you have to, sometimes you might hurt some feelings and sometimes you might open some wounds, um, you know, that, but it has to be done so that we don't create more wounds and scars down the road. I love this question. And it almost steps on a, a, a question I ask almost every scrap, but I love this question from Dylan Clinton. He said, is there something similar to the book of Andy or the book of Shoop for building construction? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, <laughs> I don't think so. Cause, because there aren't really, uh, there's not a collection of articles, uh, especially not from any one person that I'm aware of, um, that would do that. You have individual texts, but even they by themselves aren't good enough. Maybe we what? should make one. Yeah. Well, you know what I would say is the best the best department to do that would be LAFD, and maybe Mittendorf's truck company manual is is probably the the best one. That, but it but it addresses a lot of things. It doesn't just address building construction and maybe Mittendorf and Dotson's book, The Art of Reading Buildings. Mm. But um, well, there is no, I'll say right now, there is no department like LAFD when it comes to roof operations. And we're talking about for like building construction and, and how to work roofs. Nobody does it better than they do. Well, that's and how they, they, that's how they do it. They, the only way that they can do if and that's another question we don't ask very often is how do they do that? How do they do that without killing dozens of firemen a year doing what they do because a lot of departments and, and individuals might look at what LA does and call it reckless or dangerous, or, you know, just, it would take their breath away thinking about how, how that would work out in their department, but how do they do it? They don't just do it with manpower and response model. They also do it by laying the foundation of building construction knowledge in their fire Academy. And it is codified in book 29, like their training manual for the truck that stuff is a big deal 
and it is the foundation of how they do what they do. Without it, they wouldn't be able to do what they do. But on top of that, I mean, book 29 is awesome. And you, most any of you that don't have a copy of it, you can find it on on the interwebs real easily. But it's it's the it's the work of the men and women in the LAFD of that train every single day and are are visually tearing down buildings and walking on roofs and doing that. I mean, you can do that today. You guys, you know, you're in a, in, in a more modern. <laughs> more modern built environment walk buildings walk roofs start understanding the construction and, and what goes on there and having more conversation and and i think when you have a better understanding of that of the type of construction that's in your area you'll feel more comfortable in being able to you know do operations or whatever it may be but um i i mean i think if there was if there was any department that would write that book you know, like the book of Shoop, it would be the book of the LAFD if you're asking me, because that department vents more roofs than anybody. I, I bet you they probably vent more roofs than than all the departments combined in America. That's wow. that's a that's a real big stretch, but they do it a oh. lot that time. <laughs> uh, Jason Marshall wants to know: I follow Sons of Brandigan, building construction for the fire service, the pervs. I follow all these on social media. Where else can I find more information about building construction, particularly contemporary? Go out in your first two area. I mean, I don't. I don't know that there's a lot of there's there's there is definitely um, Sons of Brannigan and us, and there's um, there's a couple other ones out there that kind of focus a lot on building construction. They're all they're all good. They got good information, but I think the best information that you can get is. Take a little bit of all of that and get it, get your ass out of the recliner, get out on these buildings and start walking and and seeing what's out in your area and uh, and then go, well, that's kind of weird. I don't know what this is. Take a picture of it, come back, start doing some research or come back and um, and ask a question. Post it up on one of these these websites and see if somebody can give you an answer and help you out with it. But I, I think the biggest thing, I mean, one of the one of the issues that that William and and James and I wanted to cover when coming on to the this the mega scrap was is that the fear mongering that's going out going out you know in the American Fire Service is it it's it's just it's getting ridiculous. I mean, the idea of the the domino effect with trusses and so on and so forth, like it just is not happening, and we just need to start looking at things and sharing more information. And, um, and, and if your department doesn't do roof operations or if your department, well, that that's okay. But I, you know, this is something that William and I have, I've spent a lot of time on social media over the years, stay in your lane. I don't work for the FDNY. And so I'm not going to talk about OV operations because we don't have an OV position in my department. And that's because I don't know it. But if I have questions about it, I'm going to ask questions. I'm not going to tell guys not to do it. So that's my answer to Jason. I like it. And yeah, okay. Uh, Gus Salcedo wants to know, how can we use proper roof diagnostics to give chief officers in command the warm and fuzzies to let the topside <laughs> crew do the job they were sent to do? Uh, as a, as a, as an instant commander. And and one of the questions I was going to, you know, when, when William was going off, I, I wanted to talk about the in. <laughs> 
we're imperfect. You know, we're, we're not, we're human. Right. right. And so as an instant commander, and I know you're an instant commander, Corley, and, and I think Kyle gets in that position every once in a while. I know it seems like he's always setting up a camera and, and going in and doing, <laughs> you know, he's like a tactical boss or something, but, but you know what? We make mistakes all the time. And that um, goes to William's point about admitting our mistakes and learning from our mistakes. And it's okay. I mean, I, I've never had a line of duty death or anybody seriously injured um, as a, as an IC. And I hope I never do. Um, But I do know the world that I am, you know, the profession that I am and that it it is possible. And, um, but I'm, I, I I like to learn and I'd I'd like to learn from my mistakes. So uh, the roof report or, or getting on the roof. um, Can you repeat the question? I know it's like, I want to make sure I answer it right. Or, I can't at this point because I've already. How big is that it. wine glass, Rob? Uh, it's a, it's holding a lot of wine. How well, he wants give, to know. How, he, do you, how do you give the warm and fuzzies to the safety command buggy people who have a car that may or may not be blue um, out there? <laughs> the the warm the warm and fuzzies. I the mean, like fuzzies. I said earlier, I mean, the warm and fuzzies. One, your your battalion chiefs have to. I mean, I'll go back to LAFD. I I, mean, I don't want to perv out on the LAFD, but. I'll tell you one thing, the way that their structure is, is that how you promote through the ranks, you cannot be a battalion chief in the LAFD if you didn't go through Captain 2, which is working on a ladder truck. So it ain't going to happen. But in my department, battalions get promoted all the right. time and never worked on the ladder truck. And I'm sure it can happen in 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 where Kyle's working, where you're working, and, and maybe in DeKalb We as don't well. have trucks. But, we have quints. That's all we've got. Well, even then, I'll give you, I'll call your Quint a truck. But but the point that I'm making is you've never spent, so when you get battalion chiefs that have never spent any time focused on truck operations, and I don't care if you're on a Quint or not, right? you're not going to have the view. You're, you're, you're really going to have a hard time. And so all of a sudden, you're now commanding a fire, and you realize the responsibility is on me and that. I own everything. And when somebody gets hurt or when something happens, it's like, I own it, right? And so it makes it very difficult. So the first warm and fuzzy is having battalion chiefs that have worked through some of those operations have done that. If we promote battalion chiefs that have never worked on a ladder truck, and let's just say your department never did ladder truck operations, more fire department, right? Right. You say you don't have any trucks. And a couple of years from now, they decide they're going to do trucks. They're going to put captains or lieutenants or company officers on these trucks and they're going to send them to great training and they're going to come back and you've never had that experience. And they're going, chief, let us do this. And you're going, there's no effing way, no way. But the problem is, is it, you're making that determination off of your experience and it's, and it's very limited. Absolutely. So one warm and fuzzies, battalion chiefs need to have truck operations, need to understand truck operations. And that helps Two, you got to paint a good picture for them and you got to work on relationships. This is one thing that like in my leadership stuff and, and is like if you don't have a good relationship with your instant with your your battalion chief in your area, don't expect to do the cool shit. Okay. But if you call your battalion chief out and you're like, hey, we train on these roofs, bring them onto a roof and say, hey, this is a panelized roof. It's not what we call it. It's the it's the way that it's constructed, but these are the forms of a panelized roof. And then now they start feeling comfortable about it because you brought them into the game. And so when you get on it and you can say, hey, chief. We're on a panelized roof. We got a partial collapse in the in the in the delta quadrant. 
We're going to work up about 50, 50% on this roof and we're going to put you in a heat hole and we're going to drop back and give you a, you know, a defensive strip, whatever it is. They're going to feel more comfortable. But if you don't include your BCs in your training and they don't have any training themselves, it is a hard sell. I'm done. No. Hey, I love the ramp, brother. William, you nice, got anything you want to add? A nice um, care. I'll, I'll address it from my end of things, which is having to deal with uh, Rob's uh, peers. Um, generally speaking, yes, everything that he just said is is absolutely foundational. Uh, it, it helps a ton. But in a lot of departments, you will not change the fact that you will get battalion chiefs that have never been on a truck. They were mm-hmm. engine guys their whole life and they just don't understand and so you have to make them feel safe you have to give them as the question said the warm and fuzzies and the way you do that is if you can't train with them and they didn't have the training to begin with is all in communication so you have to work on Mm -hmm. giving them only what they need making it short and sweet and making it sound like uh they can trust you uh with whatever you tell them Mm -hmm. so that's that's the important thing. If you give them too much information, that may be the thing that triggers them and they go, oh, crap, that's that sounds bad. They don't know better. You might have been giving them a lot of really good detail, but over the radio, in the heat of all of everything else that's going on and they don't have that background, that's too much. So give them only what they need and then make sure that what it is is, is you know accurate and they can learn to trust you. And you say, "Hey, we've got this. It's a good roof. We're gonna we're gonna make you whole. Like short and sweet. Don't give them any more than you need to. Otherwise, you'll give them something to be scared of. Almost a stimulus overload. Uh, yeah, so a little here, bit. Here's, yeah, I was just gonna say. My wife goes, "Hey, what do you want to have for dinner tonight?" I'm like, "Hey, let's go out." And she'll start naming off everything. I'm like, "I know every food group out there. What do you want to eat? Just tell me what you want to eat." Yeah. You know, right. and, the, and I the will, can I report will... is perfect for that. If somebody doesn't have a format already that works for them, the can is is perfect for a roof report. It works for other stuff too, um, but the conditions, actions, needs. If you don't already use that, that's short and sweet. What do you have? All right. What are you doing? And what do you need to, from the incident commander? This is one of my favorite questions in every scrap, but especially in mega scrap. But I'm going to throw a curveball at the mega scrap contestants today. Or participants, not contestants. I'm um, a baseball player, so you got to keep your weight back. Keep your weight back and wait on it. Yes, coming. yes. Here it comes. It's a curveball. But um, 100% a book or books that you think firefighters should be reading, specifically when we're talking about building construction. But I don't want to include the names Dunn, Brannigan, or Mittendorf. So that's easy. You pretty much just left Ching. Ching is yeah. hard to knock. Do you have a copy right in front of you, William? Mine's at work. No, mine's in my bag back in the. In, I loaned it. I did not know it. what it was until I had James Johnson on way back in the like number sixty, I think. But that's where I found Ching, and it's amazing. And I give it to so many people to 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 thumb through. So it's a different Francis instead of Francis Brannigan. It's uh, Francis D K Ching, and it's Ching's Building Construction Illustrated. It's not a fire service book, but it should be because it's basically a coloring book. Um, it's for truck off. It's for truck it, companies. It really is, man. It's <laughs> it's really it's written for. And I say written. It's mostly drawn. It's for uh, engineering and architecture students. Right. It's a textbook, but don't read it. Don't go cover to cover. Just get it and use it as a reference. Flip through it. Uh, it's a great bathroom book. Uh, if you want to reduce the time that you're staring at your phone, put it in your yes. bathroom and flip through it and just find something cool because it's all pictures and. 
you can you can go. It has the level of detail to fit anybody. If as uh, James, he's not here to say uh, need to know, nice to know, and nerd to know. Those are the three levels that this book does. Nice. If you need to know, you can stick to pictures and captions, find what you're looking for, learn about something. If you need nice to know, there's a little more extra to it. And if you're nerd to know, like like Robbie and I might be, there's much more detail in the sidebars and stuff like that. So you can get deep into it if you want to, but you don't have to. You can stay surface level um, in, and again, it is Ching's, Building construction illustrated. Um, I think. Yeah, I'm just. Six, I'm looking. I'm looking right now on Amazon. It's twenty three dollars. Well, what edition oh. is that? Uh, that it's the latest edition. Twenty three forty four. That's sixth edition. The blue one, yes. The old one has got the gr- the uh, green or the or the no. the mustard on it. Uh, the new one's got gold. I think uh, is they're in sixth edition. Whatever. Sixth I really wish is. I would have said excluding Dunn, Brannigan, Mittendorf, and Ching. That would have been epic talking? if I would have thrown it in there. But not the point, because it is an amazing book. Amazing the, book, which I would not know about without James Johnson. And it we is. all we all have the Ching book, and I'm telling you, it's it's one thing that again, firefighters like pictures and like yeah. simple explanation. And this is this is perfect. You want to look at a panelized roof, or you you want to look at different types of roof construction, or you want to understand why a header, you know, does what it does above a window. You know, it, it like explains it visually. It, oh, it, it covers from foundations to finishes and, yeah. and makes it uh, absorbable by, by even people who are not like really in tune with building instructions. Yes. It's, it's good. Dude, I hey, love William, w- William, I'm looking, it's the sixth edition and it's 20 something bucks. Yeah. It's, it's, Dude, it's under $30. It was an expensive book. I do remember that. It was 60. It. <laughs> it was 60 yeah, when it came what, out. That's yeah, what I want to say. I was like, so I'm surprised on the 23, but no matter which edition you get, like, Short of uh, the newer ones probably being better, man. I promise you, the value is there. Uh, yeah, the, is there I don't want to cut off anybody, but is there ahead. another book besides? Because Ching is amazing. Anything else anybody well, wants you, to bring up? You limited us. I mean, I, yeah, I, I really did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got you one. I got you one. Um, buy um, carpentry books from the eras that match your buildings. So if you have seventy, a bunch of 70s era neighborhoods and p- apartments – buy carpentry books from those eras and read them uh, because they, they have carpentry textbooks for carpenters going through like the apprenticeship and journeyman trades. Um, And those textbooks, I mean, they're like three inches thick. So they're, you could just skip to stuff that you want to look at, but that would be the way to reference those buildings. How did they build it back then? Right. What did they do? What were the techniques, the little details and things that might make a difference down the road? Is there a good resource? Is like a books or something? Is that something that might freaking Amazon find man? It? You can find you just look up carpentry books Fair and up. you'll find right. used ones. Look primarily to used. Um, you might be able to find stuff in like uh used bookstores and stuff. But I've date always date of publication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I've, yeah. I've yeah copyright date probably because that'll right. be the most recent edition of it. Um, well, I like and, it. Yeah, because that's hey, that's I, what I did. I want to stand corrected here. $45 for brand new two-day shipping from Amazon, 6th wow. edition. No reason 30, not to have that. $33 for a used copy, which most firefighters can buy the used copy. That's like half price, man. That's, that's yeah. a good deal. Some truck you already colored in all the pictures in the $20 version. I doubt that's... it. <laughs> no, because they, they, they ate the crayons. Yeah, they the never colorful got that ones far. they eat. Oh, I love it. Okay, we don't do the five questions on a mega scrap because there is just too many guests and too many answers. But what we do do is the most important question, which 
Everybody but William has answered before, so it doesn't matter. I'll let William answer it last, okay? But bottom line is this. Who wants to go first, Rob or Kyle? And then William is last. I'll go first. Are we answering a question that you already know the answer to? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Everybody <laughs> just but let Will go. Everybody yeah, but Battalion Chief, no, hey. Battalion Chief's the best position in the fire service. Some you... people may not have been here for previous scraps, so this is for their benefit as well as my entertainment. Yeah. Um, Rob Fisher, heavy fire, searchable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? <laughs> well, or first two <laughs> with the clipboard. <laughs> well for yeah i mean uh somebody was busting my balls about blue card earlier and so if it's not kurt isaacson that's beating me up over being a blue card ic you know there's others out there but um well i, I go back to the mission of the fire service and save lives and so if i have the opportunity to do a ves operation knowing that there is a um a good potential for saving lives I'm I'm good with my brothers and sisters that want to be on the hose line and want to put out some fire. I mean, I if there is a way that I could take the best of the best, the Ramaguses, um, the Brumleys, the the Bonifields. I mean, just name the list. Nisbet, right. he'd be pissed if I didn't put him in the. If I could take the best of the best, and I could work with William on the roofs, and we would kill, we would kill a fire. And and so if I had all the best on the nozzle and you're giving me the option, I'm like, I'll let those guys do their job. Those guys and gals do their job and I'm going to VES the, the building and, and I'm going to, I'm going to go for the, the save. So that's my job. I love the answer. I love the answer. I'll give you max points. Same as uh, 100%. 100%. I'll give it a thousand because I'll multiply, <laughs> I'll multiply it by 10 without a doubt. One Brazilian points. Right. There we go. <laughs> Brazilian. Kyle. I love it. Heavy fire, searchable space, my brother. Would you rather be assigned? This is a rhetorical question. To that seven eights, or first in on the VES? Oh, nozzle every time, man. Yeah. Every time. I want you there. That's what I want. Yeah. Although I did uh, get to help out with a VES beyond the door class this weekend. Cool. Very nice. Whoa, you were the BIB guys. I was there. I got to help out. I just basically just picked up scraps and threw them in the burn barrel. So I don't want to get too crazy here. <laughs> okay. Definitely involved. All right. Well, good, good to see you survived. Yeah, yeah. Again, yeah. again, I knew the answers to both <laughs> before I asked. But <laughs> William has not answered the question, so it's first time answering. Uh, and max points for both Rob and Kyle, without a doubt. And uh, William, heavy fire, searchable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES. And all that matters, there's no wrong answer. All that matters is the reasoning why. So let's hear it. No, I'd, I'd rather be search. It's just more fun. Like I don't, I don't, there's a reason I'm on a truck. If I wanted to be on an engine, I could be on an engine. I could have chosen that life, but I really, really like truck work and the work that comes in, the just the technique and everything that's behind it. I enjoy it more. So it's not, for me, it's not really about what's, better for the fire ground or the the heart of the fire service this is what i enjoy i enjoy truck work and search is truck work and so i, I don't enjoy nozzle work as much um i'm not great at it i i in fact i suck at it how about that i didn't do that much of it when i was a rookie i haven't done that much of it in my career i was never good at it um i'm a general purpose nerd so i don't mind knowing how to pump stuff and 
and you know all the engine stuff i can i can i'm passable at it but i'm not good at it so i prefer the truck work i would take uh, search any day and every day officially makes it three for three max points on the final question and i gotta say dylan clinton asked about is there a similar book to the book of andy or the book of shoop right and then uh john mccoy said i don't care just write the book just make sure you name it the quint the quint stories of romagus Quinn stories. <laughs> oh, man. Can I ask these two guys a question, Corley? Absolutely. As as the BC Rob, uh, what do you want to hear from the roof report that would give you eyes where you are not? And will as the truck crew on the roof, what would your roof report be to the chief that's not looking at where you are? Which one do you want to hear like, first? Not like uh, a specific roof report, but like subject matter. What do you What do you yeah. give? Go ahead, so if I'm, I, I have a feeling we're about the same. <laughs> well, no pressure. I would say as as the company officer, the thing that I want to give you is is if the roof has a firewall, so can we separate the building? What is the um, where is all of our weight? So in our area, we have a lot of the HVACs uh, on the roof, and if we're talking about a grocery store, there's going to be refrigeration up there, so they want to know where that's at, and then. Um, if the building is on fire and we have a standing order for the trucks to do an inspection cut. And so they're going to give me basically the inspection cuts going to give me roughly what the construction is on the roof. And I don't want to say contrary to what William said about too much information. If I'm the IC now I have experience. I want to know the type of construction. A lot of the ICs that don't have uh, truck experience Probably given that information is going to cause it's going to cause exactly what William is saying. It's going right. to get it's going to going to freak them out. But um, so what I would do again, staying in the position of the company officer, I would tell them roughly what the construction is, and 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 I would tell them we are go for operation if they want to grant us uh, the ability to be able to do it. Now from the BC position, what I want to know is all of that stuff, and I want to know the type of roof that we're we're dealing with. And in most cases, I can figure that out pretty quickly by just looking at the building. And I don't, I'm not trying to toot a horn or anything, but those that have been on a lot of roofs and been in a lot of buildings understand the building construction of the region and of mm-hmm. the area. So I look at the building, I kind of already, before we even cut the roof, I could tell you what it is, but I want confirmation. And those are the, those are the things. And if, and if I, again, goes back to what we talked about earlier about that relationship between the company officer and the BC. If again, if a company officer wants to do cool shit on the roof, you better have a good relationship with your BC. And if I have a good relationship with my, my company officers working on the ladder truck and they tell me they're go granted, you know, I'm just going to make sure that my check boxes, what I'm looking at, things that I'm concerned with are good to go before, you know, that, that it's in line with everything. I don't, again, my experience, I'm not, if they told me we've got fire venting through the roof and they gave that to me, like I've got a problem and I'm going to have to evaluate that to the individual that's there. But if I know the individual and I'm going, man, this just doesn't seem weird. I'm like, I'd want to know, well, what, what part of the roof are you talking about? And we, you know, in relation to where a firewall is in relation to how big the roof is, are you just telling me that so that I know it? Or are you telling me that? Cause you're concerned and you're, you're hoping that I'm going to give you the, you know, pull the flag and let you get off the roof with, right? you know, but 
Um, but I can't, I cannot, I cannot overemphasize the amount of importance of the relationship between company officers and the battalion chiefs. It, it just, it is what it is. And so for the BCs that are listening today, if you don't have a good relationship with, and, I, and it's not just the truck officers, it's all of your officers. This is something that really bugs me is that uh, BCs that don't go out and train with their crews and they don't know what their crew's capabilities are, right? be it an engine or an, or a truck, uh, get out and know those crews. And specifically for the, um, you know, for the company officers that work on a ladder trucks, so if you, if you want, again, you want to do the cool shit, you, you better have a good relationship with your, your battalion. Right on. Dude, I love the answer. Love the answer. Love the question, Kyle. Thank you. William. William, William can you add to that? Uh, yeah. Um, sorry. That's Kyle's dog made me think of, uh, my dog. She's roaming around here too. Yeah, My dog um, was creeping up on me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mine's, mine's been sleeping peacefully, but, uh, um, so, uh, I, for, for me, I don't do a lot of radio traffic. I don't ride seat very often. And uh, as a tillerman, I'm I'm rarely directly communicating with uh, incident command or operations. I'm, I'm usually just dealing with my crew, my officer, giving him feedback. Um, and we only have three-man staffing on most of our truck companies, including mine. So that means realistically, we're probably getting two on the roof. So um, I don't have to do a lot of the the transmission um, but generally speaking, in, in my department and, and in our experience, um, just within my crew, uh, if if we give most of our chiefs too much information, um, if we give them a detailed report of the construction on a commercial roof, they're, they're not going to know what to do with that. They might not be as dialed in uh, on building construction as some of the truck companies are. So you kind of have to uh, filter it down to just the really, really important stuff, which is, hey, this is a steel truss roof. Cool. And now what? Give them more than that. You got to tell them what the conditions are, what else you see. Um, that steel trust roof isn't just information for incident command. It's also for everybody that's operating inside. The engine company needs to know that they need to put some water in the overhead to give themselves some extra time in addition to you on the roof. So that's that's not just for one person. That's for the whole fire ground. It's kind of like pulling up and doing a size up as a first arriving company so that everybody else knows what they're walking into. Mm-hmm. Once you get on the roof, especially a large roof, a, a commercial roof, uh, your initial size up of, uh, you know, after your inspection cut and uh, sounding and other, all your other diagnostics, you're able to give a lot of information selectively, whatever you feel like needs to be given. You have a whole arsenal to choose from that you can then pick and choose what you need to give based on what you're looking at and what's going on. Uh, I don't necessarily need to give the direction of the the trusses to the interior crews unless it matters to them. And there are times where in the strip malls, for instance, uh, if the trusses are running front to back instead of the, the more common side to side, I'm going to want to communicate something to them and say, hey, guys, um, the the roof trusses run front to back. So uh, if they let go, uh, you're going to be cut off at the front door. Or if they run uh, across the short span, maybe I can tell them something easier than that, which is, hey, guys, uh, don't go past the 50-foot mark. Don't go past your first coupling. I can give you that operational space and confidence that you can go that far without having to stay at the front door. So that's I kind of tailor it to the the situation more than a, a standard I give you all of this information in one report. I, I would tailor it more to 
both the incident commander, the incident, and the building itself. What do you need to give? So that's why I like the CAN report, because it's more flexible. Conditions, actions, needs. That's not real specific on exactly what information has to come across. Beautiful answer from both. Beautiful question from Kyle. Hey, there's some questions in here I just want to address. Go, if you don't go, mind. Rob, go. All right, Tony Nunes. If I could say it louder, I fucking would. Um, <laughs> James, or see, like Nisbet just joined. So Nisbet, I already gave you a compliment and you weren't here for it. <laughs> uh, uh, James was asked, oh, he made the statement, uh, command presence, you have to be present. Dude, that couldn't be any more real. Mm. That's That's money. And then uh, Tyler, I'm trying to read these. Tyler's talking about three-man company on the ladder truck versus four-man company. And he says something about would we do one and two or two and one. And on his company with a four-man company, they do two and two. Um, That's a tough one. I would say on residential, and and this is just my department, we run three-man companies. And typically what would happen is the ladder truck was going to go and do inside operations, meaning doing the search. Likely what would end up happening in my department is two guys would go and do a search and the driver would stay outside and take care of all secondary means of egress, aerial operations, so on and so forth. If I had the luxury of a four-man company, um, I would split two and two if we had uh, uh, a search need. But a lot of the departments, as Seattle being one of them, they have four-man ladder trucks and they send two ladder trucks to seeing family dwellings and um, they, the first arriving truck is inside and the second arriving truck is outside. And I think that fits for what we're looking at with UL and everything. I think that would fit better uh, for the operations, unless it was some significant event going on that I would want to keep the truck outside. But generally speaking, um, if I had a four man truck, or even if I had a three man truck, if I had two trucks on a single family dwelling, and we needed search, I would I would probably, if I knew I had a second truck coming, and again, my department on a single family dwelling, we only send one truck, I would, uh, I'd be all in for search on, uh, if I had two trucks. So on a four person, I'd probably do exactly the same, but I think that covers some of the questions that was going on there. So yeah, the, uh, was that the Tyler, were you handling Tyler Whitfield's question about three man tillers? Yeah, that was his question. Yeah. So we run a three man tiller, um, and I'm, I'm the tillerman, which means that I'm, I'm always, if I'm tillering, I'm always going with the officer, wherever he's going, no matter what the call is, I'm, I'm with him. Uh, when I tractor, which is infrequently, um, I also join my crew on search, just search. Like that's the only fire round task where I'm going to join them. And even then only if my aerial doesn't need to be in play, if the aerial needs to be in play and that's more important and that's what I'm doing. But if either we don't need the aerial up or we can't get the aerial up, then I am absolutely joining my crew and we'll have a three-man search crew. Because I agree with you that search uh, for me is the higher priority over roof ops, over outside work, over almost any other truck task, including throwing ground ladders. Because if we don't find them, ground ladders don't matter. We can paint the building silver, you know, aluminum everywhere. But if if the, they're still laying inside the building, who cares? So I would rather front load the search operation with whatever units. I'm not even picky about it being a truck. Um, if you have the engine resources to do it, uh, I just want people searching early and everywhere. So yeah, that's. But on other operations, more more likely than not, everything else is going to be two and one split. 
where officer and tiller are going together and the the tractor driver is um he's finding an outside usually an outside task uh it's either ground ladders or moving equipment and tools putting the aerial up things assisting other drivers with stuff so that's that's how that usually works for my i would i would say it changed i mean he he put building construction might have an impact in this and i would say that if I'm going on a commercial building, I'm going to keep the unit together. Absolutely. And likely the first arriving truck on a commercial building strip mall otherwise is outside. They're going to be roof operations. It has to change for the type of, of um, the type of building, you know, single family dwelling is different. I mean, that's where we're, that's where it's occupied by people and we need to get search. We need to get water on the fire right away. And there's three things that need to go on on every fire when we're talking about single family dwellings or even multifamily dwellings. Water on the fire, search, and some type of ventilation. I'm not saying that's roof, but some type of ventilation. All those things need to go on. And on a commercial building, um, my my biggest concern is not people. My biggest concern is is lateral spread of fire. And so we need water on the fire and we need ventilation. So everything changes when we go to a commercial building yeah. and that the focus should be on getting the guys to the roof, give me a good report. And tell me where you can cut it off and and we'll build from there. Because without that information from the, you know, the incident commander, if I don't know where the cutoff is, then I can't put the lines in the right position. I don't know where to, you know, put the line in the sand. And that leads to trench operations and defensive strip and all these other things that seem to be confusing. It's good to see you back, Corley. You you left for a moment. I had to switch to the uh, hotspot for sure. So welcome to my internet. But um, absolutely. Hey. What we got going on here, thanks to Sam, the unsung hero. Like, usually Kyle is behind the scenes hero, and now we got Sam, the unsung hero, who's making sure the scrap goes off without a hitch. Uh, so, uh, yeah, massive kudos. Any other questions that I, that you guys want to hit? Because um, discombobulated as I come back in here. All right. Pulling up the notes. Making sure I don't miss anything. That officially makes it. 185 scraps in the books. That makes the conclusion of mega scrap number four, building construction, the Delta. Uh, I love it, man. Uh, Rob Fisher, I'll start with you. Places people can get a hold of you, get more information. Rob Fisher 72 at most anything social media. Rob Fisher 72 at gmail.com. And I'll give it out 425 870 0129. Um, I like talking shop all day long and I have a very supportive wife, as you all know, Corley, Absolutely. She, she allows me to to talk shop all the time and she travels with me when I'm, when I'm teaching. And so I've got a lot of places. I'm, I'm not like Corley Moore. <laughs> I'm not everywhere. Uh, or Kyle Romagus. I yeah. mean, um, I think one, Kyle of us and was, I are... one of us was in Idaho this week. Yeah. Well, Kyle and I are going to be teaching in Victorville uh, in June, which I look forward to that. And uh, I'll be at FDIC this year. I'll be at COBC. Uh, My group, uh, Young Officers on Fire, we have a leadership conference at Corley. You're going to, and and Romagus is going to be at too. Yes. And the week after COBC. And then I'm going to be at the uh, Lake of the Ozarks in July. Keynote. Yeah. Keynote. Keynote there. Keynote. I'm going back to um, uh, Mile High, and there's some other things in the works. Um, rock on, rock on. So, so a lot of things, but um, I know this is my how you get a hold of me. But I would just say, just real closing comments, and and I'm going to get out of here. And is like I wish that firefighters understood building construction better. 
I still don't understand it. And I, I guarantee you I'll leave the fire service and I'll still have questions and I won't, I will not understand building construction to the level that I need to be. And I don't know that there's anybody in the American fire service that truly understands the building construction, the the depth that we need to know, but that doesn't mean that we can't, we can't try to get there. And um, I'm just tired of all the bullshit going on in the fire right. service, just banging everybody's cage and rattling their cages and banging each other. And I was like, let's, let's just be a little bit better. I mean, there's, there's a lot of banter that goes on between engines and trucks and it's great, but I'm getting tired of some of the BS that goes on. Um, and we, we just completely beat up each other on stupid shit. And so I'm, I'm tired of that stuff. And, and, um, when I retire, which is going to be pretty quick here, um, I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to take the referee role or what, but I'm going to start, I'm going to start some banging some heads. I like it. And, uh, he's already started but, doing that with the roof pervs. You should, you should see our texts back and forth <laughs> when I, when I get a little, um, how how would you put it, Robbie? Confrontational, controversial. Yeah, um, yeah, they're both of those. Confrontational, uh, confrontational. I mean, it's just like all of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Robbie's Robbie's had to pull the pull the leash a little bit every now and then. Yeah, he starts cracking skulls. All right, William. How I got to get go go well, real, real quickly. I just got to say. I mean, it's you know, if we want to make change, we got to be good with each other, and we gotta we gotta just kind of like be open to learning. And 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 I'm constantly learning. There's a lot of things that I thought 20 years ago that is completely different today. And uh, it's okay to, to change your position on things. It doesn't make you a weaker person. It doesn't make you a weaker officer. It doesn't make you, make you a weaker chief just because shit changed and you now understand a different side of things. So I'm out. Thank you. Peace. <laughs> to, William. To that, to that, I'm going to add two books. Two okay. books. One is The Death of Expertise and the other is Being Wrong. If you've never read either of those, read them both. Um, that'll change how you look at learning and knowledge in general they're both very entertaining they're not boring books they're both good easy to read books um, okay so there i'm just gonna throw that out there people can look at them figure it out do you feel want. like these books have made you better or worse yes. at well, way better okay at conflict yes all of it i am i am much less um uh like you know the dunning kruger curve oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It you don't know what me. you don't know. You think you know what you don't know. Right. Yet? I mean, I was aware of it before, but it's definitely helped reset me um, into a, a more um, humble position. Okay. To where I am less confrontational because I am less uh, certain about a lot of stuff. So it, it makes me a better learner because I have to, if I'm going to argue something, I've got to be really, really on top of it and make darn sure because I, I'm I'm less interested in the argument uh, than I used to be, and more interested in the knowledge. I like I, it. I, personally, my personality is very confrontational, and I used to be much more argumentative, I think, than I am now, um, just for the sport of argument. Sure. So, yeah, both yeah. of those have helped helped me um, pursue knowledge in a different way that I think is a, a, a better way to get where I want to be. The death of expertise and being wrong. Being wrong. Yep. Both of okay. those. Those Go are ahead. Very good books. Um, so what was the actual question? Getting a hold of you. How do how do how do people do so? Oh yeah, don't. Uh you you can't do that. <laughs> um look for so, shorts so, online. Oh, look, I have a I have a short I have a short uh story. Um and a then, jort and, story. Yeah, I have a jort story, yeah. Um so <laughs> uh I it's I'm pretty notorious for not um uh accepting friend requests on Facebook. 
to the point where I showed up at uh, the Red River Throwdown in um, in Texas, and um, Justin Fraze uh, ran into me, and he was like, "Oh, look, it's William Knight! Look at that! Look at that! He uh, he thinks he's too good for everybody." And well, he was joking with me, and and says, "You know, he he's been he's had me on friend request for." for like a year or something. And uh, so then I look, I started paying more attention to it after that. Cause I didn't realize it. And sure enough, I'd had people who had requested to be my friend who I actually knew would just sit there for a year or more. And, um, and then after a while I was like, well, I don't need more friends. I've got, I don't have any anyways, so I don't need more. Um, so I'm joking about this. I'm telling this same story um, at uh, Fireground Commander last or two years ago when I was there. And I'm telling it to um, uh, Doug and Dan, um, Doug Mitchell in particular. And we're both start comparing. We both have the same story, which is that everybody sends us friend requests. And we're like, I don't know this guy. So it just sits there. You don't want to hurt your feelings and say no. So you just leave it. And so we start looking and I'm scrolling through and I'm showing him, you know, like, Hey, look at this one's like three years. You got a three year. And he's like, Oh yeah, I got a four year. And I'm like, okay, here's this. And I'm like, Hey Doug, you're right here. <laughs> Doug's in my list of people that I haven't, I haven't approved. He, he friend requested me like two years before that. And so, yeah, um, generally speaking, if I don't, if I don't know people, um, I don't accept friend requests. I've got enough of uh, other people's feeds to sort through. Um, but you can message uh, the roof perf page. Um, which is on Facebook. It's on Instagram, but we really don't check it over there. So the roof perf, uh, Robbie, me, James, uh, Steven Tyler to a small degree and uh, Barry Frankie, if he ever gets on a computer, um, he could be accessible that way. But yeah, the roof perf perf to get a hold of William Knight. You can can message me. I'll answer messages. I just am not probably going to take friend requests. So, um, but yeah, that's it. Smooth bore. How do you get a hold of, uh, Oh yeah, it's the, the the same old way, uh, old smoothbore cartel. I do have a closing remark though. I did okay. read uh, just now the origin of a eh in the eh. Canadian language. It, the use of a eh predicates confederation. Its first known use was in an Irish play written in 1773. There you go. There you go. There you go. Hey, hey, this Kyle, is why this scrap is so educational. Kyle, sure. can they reach you at your personal page? Uh, no. <laughs> what, why, why not? What's <laughs> Yeah, it's it's gone. It's gone forever. He's been. I'm, I'm somewhere in cyberspace. You you need to have something that says like nozzles put shit out, something like that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Smoothbore cartels is the only way you can get a hold of me, unless you message my wife, which is not cool. But um, yeah, that's about the only way. I communicate more with your wife yeah. to get to you. That's just. Yeah. I tagged you today by saying Kyle in parentheses. At Tasharamagus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how I do it. So anyway. Um 100 Hey, there it is. One uh 185. Uh brothers, I cannot thank you enough for giving me your evening to talk about what you're passionate about. 100 percent man. Um go to firehousevigilance.com. Become a vigilante. Five bucks a month is the cost of a cup of coffee. You uh become a part of the vigilantes. These things, uh, I don't you know. I, uh, yeah, it's awesome. Do it. Uh, where am I else? Uh, who's coming up? I don't even have the. I don't even have the 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 list in front of me. Um, the scrap continues to be awesome. Can I ask you a question? What? Always. Two hundred is coming up. Two hundred is at? coming up. Where Where are you at with that decision? I've I've made the decision. I haven't announced it yet. 
Oh, uh, so you can't you can't bring us back with. You're not going to share. You're not going to share. Nope. But you've made a decision. That's good. No, I haven't. I have made a decision. There's a lot that goes into it, and I'll discuss it probably. Actually, I'll probably discuss it in the vigilantes because that's where I brought it up and had a lot of input there from everybody. And so, but I think I think everybody will agree with my my logic uh, behind it. We'll see. We'll see. They could be like boo this. Yes. I'm trying to show my vigilante shirt, my yep. my hoodie. You got to be a part of the vigilantes. The vigilantes is where it's at. I'm not going to lie. It is. So, but uh, all that being said, uh, you guys are distracting. <laughs> William, Rob, and Kyle are very distracting. Audience, you make the scrap magical, man. Thank you for tuning in live. Thank you for your questions. Uh, thank you for putting up with me. Um, the guests, I love you all. Remember, mutts don't scrap. Rob, William, Kyle, thank you for making Mega Scrap Delta so awesome. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I wish it. James was here. I wish James was here too, but Kyle, thank you for coming along. Yeah, no yeah, problem, thanks. man. I hope the tones stay <laughs> silent unless it is burning. Everybody, please stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.